Sup freaks, it's your boy Marty here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. I had the immense, 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 immense pleasure of sitting down with Ryan Gentry from Lightning Labs. Long rip, three hour rip, great rip. Talked about a bunch of stuff. Started out with Austin, moved to the order of operations necessary to uh, fulfill the... uh, the dream of a cryptocurrency, particular Bitcoin, proof of work, uh, the importance of proof of work specifically, uh, how to scale these protocols efficiently, and then Lightning. We talked a lot about the Lightning Network and particularly the product they launched earlier this week, Lightning Pool, which, frankly, I think is going to shock the market to the upside. Uh, something that wasn't even on the top of my mind of how to apply this technology uh, and create incentives that incentivize uh, channel liquidity and easier UX between node operators and users. I think this is a massive, massive, massive product drop that we just witnessed here with Lightning Pool. Ryan and I jump into it, jump into shadow pools, how all this can be applied, what it means for the ability to... Uh, stack sats in a non-custodial fashion using the lightning network the the yield curve that it could potentially uh, that will potentially materialize from this product hitting the market and a bunch of other stuff i think you guys are really going to like it you're going to learn a lot an incredible rip ryan's as i say in the beginning of the podcast uh, somebody who i've had some he's been the counterpart in some of my favorite conversations about Bitcoin this year, particularly I had the pleasure of meeting him in Dallas at Bitblock Boom and was very excited to record this podcast. And I'm even more excited to release it to you freaks because I've been sitting on it for more than a week now at this point. And uh, I, I wish I could have dropped it right away, but due to uh, the timing of the launch, I had to wait a little bit. So with that being said, this episode is brought to you by good friends at the motherfucking cash if you don't know about the Cash App, let me tell you about the Cash App. You should know about the Cash App. We talk about them before every episode, middle of RHR sometimes. The Cash App's helping you stack sats, send sats, receive sats, and sell sats if you so please. We're saying sats, 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 sats because you can make sats the standard within the app. There's no more buying fractions of Bitcoin. That's for losers, buying fractions of Bitcoin. People with unit bias. We're stacking whole sats now, okay? Stack whole sats, thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions at a time, tens of millions, hundreds of millions if you're a baller. You can stack those sats. On top of that, uh, you can DCA into sats. You can set and forget if you want to buy daily, weekly, or bi-weekly. You can uh, set a recurring buy so that you don't even have to think about your sat stacking, your purchasing of whole sats. You can just set it and forget it. And beyond that, they have Cash App Investing. If you want to stack slivers of stonks, you can invest in the stonk market on the Cash App as well, buying as little as $1 worth of a stonk. If your favorite stonk's too expensive, don't worry. You can buy as little as $1 worth of it. All this is connected to your bank account, so there are no four- to five-day waiting periods. You can start stacking sats or slivers of stonks today. Cash App may even be your bank account. They're offering account numbers and routing numbers if you want to get your paychecks direct deposited into the app. So go check it out. And when you do, if you have not done so already, when you download the app, use the code StackingSats. That's S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. You're going to get $10. And $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. All right. Enjoy this episode. Very long rep. Very worthwhile to get through it all very wide-ranging and incredible conversation enjoy it, freaks Take care.
You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. And I just ninja launched the start of this podcast while we're talking about bourbon. Unbelievable. Ryan. Jim Bean drinker. What the hell's going on over here? Wow. That's how we're going to start this, this podcast off. You're just going to out me. Jack Daniels or Jim Beam? I forget. Jim Beam. Jack Daniels is too sweet. That's, that's, that's my level of standard. Yeah. Um, I, want it, I want it to hurt a little bit when I drink it. Well, now you're drinking bullet. Oh, thank God for this podcast. You you got some bullet bourbon on your head. I was just about to explain to you. That's my house whiskey. I had to. I had to. <laughs> I had to class it up just for you. Well, thank you, you know, for classing it Down down here in Texas, our standards are a little bit different from from you Yankees in Jersey. What are the Texas standards like? I've been to Texas before. I don't know. It's just. And I take offense to you saying I'm from Jersey. I am in Jersey right now, but I'm from Philadelphia. It's a very very. Uh, very uh, controversial topic in the Philadelphia, Jersey area. There's, there's, a, mm. there's some, there's some blood between the border there. Bad blood. Gotcha. Well, from my perspective, you're north of the Red River, so you're a Yankee. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. You're far away, and, and you're different. <laughs> uh, freaks. I'm sitting now with Ryan Gentry from Lightning Labs, officially business development. At Lightning Labs, correct? That's correct. Very excited to be so. Very excited to have you here. We uh we met in Texas in person. End of August at Bitblock Boom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize I was talking t- to you because I known you from Twitter. Uh, because I'd write I've written about a couple of the threads that you wrote at MultiCoin in the Bent. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, we were sitting at a bar by the hotel where Bitblock boom was we were talking for like 45 minutes so i was like oh you're that ryan gentry dude that i've written about a couple times so i'm very happy that number one we were able to meet in person and number two that we're recording this now because i think uh some of my best bitcoin conversations this year have been with you in that one weekend in dallas well i i very much appreciate that yeah it's uh i'm thrilled to be here long time listener first time caller slash guest um and uh Absolutely, I, th- I think we're going to have a, a really good time. That that Buck Boom was a, you know, shout out to to Gary and all the organizers who put that on. Um, you know, in in the midst of coronavirus, it was still uh, we managed to have a great time. Um, really good, really good conference. Great conversations, great crowd. Um, that was very energizing in the middle of the summer, end of the summer, I guess. It was extremely energizing. Yeah, there's something about that conference, particularly. I think it's. Texas. Texas does have a vibe to it. I have only been down there two times now, both for Bitblock Boom. Mm-hmm. I love it. Dallas is like, it's not my cup of tea of a city, a sprawling city with a bunch of bypasses. You can't really walk too many places. But there is something about the, the vibe down there. Like we got a ride to dinner and I hop in the back of the Forerunner and there's just a, a essentially a turret gun on the floor of the of the car i was like wow i'm definitely in texas yep 
That sounds about right. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you want to talk about uh, taking freedom seriously, right? Uh, the, come, the come and take it flag was, I don't know, something like 30 miles away from where I'm sitting right now um, in Gonzales County. Uh, if you're familiar with like the come and take it flag, the don't tread on me, all that sort of stuff. Like that was all just right here during Texas Revolution. Yeah. What's it like down there now? You're in Austin. Is Austin? I hear all the Californians are moving there. Are they ruining your city? They've been. I, I'm. I'm a native, actually, which is rare. Um, grew up in Austin. Um, been here most of my life. Spent four years in uh, in Arizona, which is like basically the same as Texas, um, just <laughs> a little bit different. Uh, and then moved back. But it's people have been moving to Austin, ruining the culture since I was born. You know, since my parents moved here in the in 1980 or something, um, Texas has a very, and Austin in particular, has a very resilient culture. Um, I think we'll be fine. We're doing a, a good job, a better job than San Francisco at handling massive influx in terms of building up, which I think is helping a lot. The one thing that's really sad that's changed is uh, when I was growing up, Austin was you know well known as the live music capital of the world because downtown Austin was just tons of, you know, every bar had a live music every night of the week, all year round, and all the musicians lived downtown. And unfortunately, they've been kind of priced out of that central area over the last, you know, probably decade or so. Yeah, I'm a sucker for live music. I'm trying yeah. to think who, who came out of Austin I'm thinking of right now in my head, Gary Clark Jr. Gary Clark Jr., phenomenal. Amazing. My, I've seen him live a handful of times. I have as well. One of my favorite live shows that Duke and Shred. Yeah. I know. Like a, like a, one of the one of the real like last living, like real rock stars. Right. Yeah. I've seen I've seen I've had that I've seen Jack White, who I thought that oh, man, this guy is a rock star. Right. I saw the I saw yeah. the rank of tours about this time last year. Really? Jack White is a here in Carolina drama live was one of the great pleasures of my life. Yeah. He's a He's, he's amazing. The, the godfather of the Austin music scene is uh, Willie Nelson, though. Um, Be remiss of me not Nelson. to mention Willie. Yeah, of course. Always, always got to mention Willie. Uh, it, it's funny. The um, if you're a Foo Fighters fan, they did their on it their album um, Sonic Highways, mm -hmm. uh, and did like an HBO series along with each. Do you remember that? Yeah, so I was gonna say they did a documentary series with it, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. they did a docu-series on it, and they did a song in Austin about the Austin music scene. It was really cool, uh, really cool view at like Austin at the time. It was just like you know, it's the capital of Texas, but this really small, tiny city. You know, like it, there was nothing really here. Um, and Willie showed up, and it was a very tense time during the '70s. You know, nationwide with you know the hippies and conservatives and yada yada yada. And Willie in Austin kind of brought together these two disparate groups of pot smoking hippies and the rednecks um, by playing this weird brand of, you know, pot smoking country, country music. Uh, and Austin has just kind of had that vibe of everybody getting along um, ever since, which is pretty cool. I forget it was that documentary series. I think it might have been, but we're just a separate one. No, I think it might have been a separate one. I'll see Austin City Limits where... Willie, mm -hmm. um, they, they had like a weekly TV show, didn't they? Yeah, they had a weekly TV show, and there's, I mean, you name it, every artist for the last, you know, 50 years has come and played Austin City Limits here. Um, and that's, you know, the the name of the 
the annual music festival now uh but for a while it was just yeah like a weekly tv show um so like you know some one of the most famous another another austin music legend stevie ray vaughn of course <sighs> rest in peace gosh rp indeed that plane just, crash took him way too early and, and just amazing talent and his, my favorite my favorite mtv unplugged stevie ray vaughn yeah and he, he just just incredible and so he had a phenomenal a handful of phenomenal Austin city limits episodes that you know every every once in a while on i don't even know what the like local channel is anymore but every once in a while they would just kind of replay it just like how they do you know they'll replay the 2005 ut national championship win still <laughs> 15 years ago but young baby. yeah exactly that was a great game uh, i remember watching that game everybody does man that was uh, uh what was usc's was quarterback David name liner Pretty boy matt, liner. Yeah, matt matt liner. liner yeah matt liner versus uh, vince young yeah and uh and that was the reggie bush's senior year you know r.i.p to his accomplishments they got invalidated uh um they'll always the they'll, they'll live on in our memories though you can't take yeah, that away God, i know he, he was incredible but uh yeah that was uh Lendale White was the USC running back. Um, just was untackleable, but man, those were, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a diehard UT football fan um, and a diehard Cowboys fan, which is just really hard. Sorry to hear that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's tough. Uh, <laughs> like, and, it's sad. It's sad. I'm an Eagles fan. We're, we're like two, three, and one. I, I have bragging rights over you right now and pretty no, much the rest God. of the NFC East. NFC East is just a cripple fight. It's it's depressing. To watch. <laughs> it really is. Um, and so is the Big Twelve. I don't know, man. Like I thank God for Bitcoin, right? I have I have I have a hobby outside of football now. Well, I guess I guess you got a lot of hobby. And in Austin, you guys have a very powerful group of Bitcoiners down there. Bitcoin companies. You got Absolutely. Unchained Capital. Um, mm-hmm. That's the only one that comes to the top of my head right now. But the yeah. you have Justin Moon running the the Bitcoin Dev Meetup down there. Mm-hmm. Um, you're down there. Uh, yeah. A lot of we good got a really, we got a really, really you powerful Michael Bitcoin and Pierre Bitcoin down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely, Jimmy um, Song blasting out mean mean magic. Jimmy Song. And I don't know. We there's a lot of other folks down here. I don't know who would would not appreciate being doxxed and, and who'd be okay. But it's we got a really good scene and more honestly more moving here. Like every week, we had a meetup two weeks ago, maybe um three weeks ago and there were like three people that had moved to austin there were bitcoiners in the last you know two three weeks from northern california chicago new york um and we're kind of like hey just moved here figured i'd meet some bitcoiners like excited to be in austin and to you know help work on this stuff together which was just amazing yeah parker texts me once a week like when you're gonna make the dream a reality move to texas you know, it's uh, it's something that I hear from folks all the time, especially my our our, our, our brethren in San Francisco, where they're like, oh, man, it's like I was looking at housing prices and like, you know, Austin's not like cheap, cheap anymore, but good God, in comparison, um, it's amazing. And, and yeah, the quality of life and the backyard you can get is, yeah, it's a great place yeah. to raise a family and hit nudge, nudge. Yeah, right. Right. Considering what's going on in Philadelphia this week and. Uh, the New York City I escaped from, I, I, and somebody who has lived down south in South Carolina for 
a good portion of his life. The South uh, is becoming more and more appeasing. Yeah. There's something about the South, whether you're in Texas, South Carolina, Georgia, those are the states I frequented the most. Um, thank God for the South. Literally. <laughs> like, honestly, like we talk about a lot in this podcast, like, oh, the creeping uh, autocratic state. Like, I think the South would never let true liberty in the United States fail simply because of their penchant to uh, take advantage of the Second Amendment. And um, you really, whether you're in Charleston or Dallas or Austin, I've never been to Austin, so I can't speak for Austin. It's a shame. Um, Dallas and Charleston are two cities down south that I've, in Myrtle Beach, I could talk about Myrtle Beach too, Dirty Myrtle. Um, there's just a, a vibe of freedom. The Southerners have a way of life that if you haven't experienced freaks, definitely go spend some time in the South. Yeah, absolutely. One, one funny thing, like again, I, after college, I moved, um, out, uh, out to Arizona, I was working for Intel, um, in Scottsdale. And one like very funny thing that all the Arizona people always asked, they always thought was hilarious. So they'd be like, so do you consider yourself like, you know, an American first or a Texan? And I was like, no, no brainer, obviously a Texan. Of course. <laughs> like, isn't that what everybody says about their state? And they're like, no, Texans are the only people that say that. Like everybody else says American first. I think we have a, we have a really good, you know, I can't speak for the rest of the states in the South, but a really um, localist tradition down here now that might seem a little ironic with, um, you know, Texas is kind of a, a vibe of its own. You know, there's a famous John Steinbeck quote, um, Texas is, is uh, not a not a state. Texas is a state of mind um, mm. or something like that. Um, yeah. It's, uh, you know, yeah, very, very. Uh, take liberty seriously, take our rights seriously, um, take kind of local affairs seriously, and just in general, we're just kind of like, you know, just leave me alone. Let me right. let me do what I'm doing down here. Um, See, that's why I think Parker's trying to recruit me so hard. He's not the only one who's noticed this pension in me. Like, I have that vibe, too. Like, people, before they know where I'm from or where I live. I've had a couple of people like, oh, I always thought you were from Texas. I was like, no, mm-hmm. never, never lived there. I've only spent my whole life, 29 years old, 29 and a half years old, I've spent six days collectively in the state of Texas, which is pretty sad. It's a state of mind, man. I'm telling you. All right. In Austin, too, you got a lot of people coming here. Right? Joe Rogan's down there now. Adam oh, Curry's oh. been there for a while, but he's there. Two podcasting yep. legends. Mm-hmm. Like I would love to see the Bitcoin community in Austin merge with that. Absolutely. That vibe, like so, you got to start go, going to like BJJ, uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, my 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 blanky ass six four, you know, two hundred pound body doing Jiu Jitsu. I get twisted into a pretzel. <laughs> that's the one thing. So one thing. I gotta get, get another way in. When uh when we met in person, Dallas was like, "Holy fuck, you're tall as shit, man! Make me look so fucking short." <laughs> um, uh, it's a blessing and a curse. Yeah, but no, uh, I I will tell you. Um, you know, if you if you search through Adam Curry's tweets, uh, he has tweeted about L and D a couple times. I have it on good authority that he runs a uh, a lightning node um, in his in his home office, which is pretty yeah. cool. I um I've actually been in email contact with Adam Curry 
after the podcast 2.0 platform is launched, which I think is, it's like starting to, to hit the market soon. Um, and the dust has settled. He's going to come on TFTC. At least he said he'd think about it via email. Fantastic. Um, but I'd love, I, I mean, yeah, he's really into it. Like he was, he accepted private keys from Rodolfo Novak, uh, via radio ham radio wave. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Him, the awesome. dude, one of the dudes from, I want to say purse.io, I think Sam, um, Sam Paulette, I'm sorry mm-hmm. if I'm butchering your name, Sam, the, and Elaine Yu, I think the four of them were, were passing private keys along ham radio waves. And yeah, Adam was one of the guys to, to receive a private key via radio wave. So freaks, you can send Bitcoin transactions outside of the internet. If you did not know that. Amazing. I did Yeah. I didn't realize that that was Sam. I know. And he's, you know, I actually, it's, it's funny that you brought him up because I only really heard his name recently. Um, but Adam Curry, the pod father, right? He was, he was, but was he, he was on stage with Steve Jobs when Steve Jobs like unveiled um, Apple's podcast platform or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, well, well, Steve Jobs like asked him for advice, I believe. Uh, he's told this story. So he's got, He's the pod father. He started the first ever podcast. I don't know if it was No Agenda. No Agenda is one of the podcasts that he hosts now. John C. Dvorak. Um, uh, he's told this story on that podcast a couple times, I believe. Steve asked him for advice. And Apple, it's like a platform where... I forget, actually. I'm not going to butcher the story on behalf of Adam. But basically... Adam's belief, I think I could say pretty confidently, is that podcasting and more importantly, broadcasting podcast via RSS feed is one of the last bastions of free speech and free publishing that we have. Like all these publish uh, excuse yep. me, platforms have, uh, like YouTube has monopolized video, yep. Twitter monopolized the, the tweet, and that, that yep. form of messaging and podcasting via RSS feeds that... Uh, allow multiple platforms to pick up your content and distribute it is last bastion of sort of open and free content production and distribution. Yep. And he's with his podcast 2.0 platform is working to preserve that, which I think is extremely important. And I would co-sign um, that thought that this is the last true bastion of free content production and distribution that we have left outside of blogging. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Spotify is coming for you. Oh, believe me, I know. I've talked about it on this podcast before. They they did like some user research with me where they asked me like, what would it take for you to like oh, publish really? exclusively on Spotify? I was like, mm-hmm. I don't think I would ever do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really interesting. Like, I, I think all of that stuff is just, is, is so fascinating. Um, the, like the business strategy around building that platform, kind of sucking in the talent little by little, you know, taking in tons of VC money, sucking in that talent, running a loss for, for a while. And then all of a sudden, like you got the network effect, you got all the users, you know, and then you just start kind of, sorry, uh, you start kind of, uh, you know, just tapping away at their margins little by little um, until it's too late and you have, you know, there's no place else to go, right? Like all the stuff, it's, it's interesting too, because all the people I remember, you know, again, working at, at Multicoin, 
being really heavily involved in, in all of like the crypto discussions, all of the Web3 stuff, you know, I thought was really interesting. And there are all these YouTube people that were so mad at YouTube all the time, right? They were always pissed about being demonetized, about censorship, blah, 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 blah. But it's, you just, there's nowhere else to go, right? Like all the users, you try and start up your own site. You do the same thing with Twitter. You try and start up Mastodon. It's like the network effect's too strong. You can't, you can't get out of it. You can't break it. You know, right. people, people don't care enough about censorship and about talent kind of squealing about their problems to switch platforms with them. Uh, and the really good talent, like they get paid enough to where they're kind of like the anchor people uh, that that people aren't going to leave. Right? Yeah. Well. I have faith to podcasting. We'll say, um, excuse me, burping with the whiskey, uh, sufficiently distributed because Spotify, the first platform to make that huge jump to silo content creation on their pa- platform specifically, they're shooting themselves in the foot. They're already fucking up with Rogan. Like they got Rogan with a $300 million contract and the employees at Spotify are already complaining about past content. And then obviously he had Alex Jones, a fellow Austinite. Austinite. Austin- oh yeah. Our, our local crazy. I, <laughs> it was a great podcast. He, uh, yeah. He was fact checked throughout and he was speaking truth. Mostly. Yeah. Um, he's, he's like, so it, it, that, that was really, really funny during 2016 when, you know, people were wearing Infowars shirts at, at uh, Trump campaigns just because being from Austin, like Alex Jones used to be on like public access radio in Austin, like all the time doing his same thing, right? Just furious ranting about everything. They're and so like, we know, I know, I know. Right. They're like, we know Alex Jones, everybody here like knows who he is. And I was like, Oh yeah. Like he's just, you know, harmless, like whatever. And so then seeing him pop up on like national television and being like, you know, this horrible fake news thing was like, Whoa, <laughs> that escalated very quickly. Did not think that he was going to get that type of reach. Right. But somebody, somebody brought up an interesting point last night. I mean, it was interesting in the fact that it put Spotify in a weird spot. Like they censored Infowars and his podcast on their platform. Yet they're letting him on Joe Rogan, their anchor content creator, uh, and, and distributing, his his voice via rogan's podcast like is that hypocritical the point i'm trying to get to is like you shouldn't be put in that position you should have an rss feed like distribution model where Mm -hmm. many platforms can pick this up (sighs) absolutely i have a feeling it's gonna be like a five-hour podcast because we're not even like done talking about austin personalities but well but that one like that one in particular right like the and this is it's the same um, one of many many reasons that i'm really passionate about working on lightning is that the reason why spotify is able to do that and why these platforms are able to you know aggregate creators and just keep them is because they're able to aggregate you know the uh the advertisers they get the users they bring the advertisers all of a sudden they can pay and the advertisers are not willing to branch out and the creators most importantly do not have a way to independently monetize without advertisements, right? You put a podcast out into the world, you spread it on RSS, like how do you get paid for it, right? For directly from your listeners, it's it's impossible. But if you had native payments over the internet, if you had some way of kind of streaming payments for listening or, you know, requiring a payment before 
your phone downloaded the secret that unlocked the the content itself, right? All that sort of stuff. Like all of a sudden, the landscape starts looking very, very, very different. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about our, our boy DJ Seeds. Shout out DJ, you make me very proud. Uh, his product <laughs> LNCast. Uh, Absolutely. Right. It's yeah, a, it's a nice MVP for that that model, you, or at least one of the models you just described. When I when I got like yeah, shout out to DJ because when I got really obsessed with lightning, like I don't know, maybe a year ago, year and a half ago or something, I was just looking for anything that was you know direct payment to content creators, and I, I actually you know had kind of a, a little bit of an intuition that like oh man, like maybe maybe podcasters would be interested in this because like they aren't they haven't been captured by a platform yet. And so I found LNCast from DJ and messaged him. I was like, oh, you know, what are you doing with this? How does this work? How many people are using it? Blah, blah, blah. It's pretty cool. Um, so it's, I, was, I, was, I did not know at the time that he was working with you uh, on your podcast. But I think that that's, it's, a, it's a really, really cool application that I think is, is going to make uh, gonna be a big deal pretty soon. I mean, when you say working with me, I, here's a story of DJ Seeds. All right. A young gentleman I, I admire very much. We met 2018 consensus, I believe. Yeah. It was, we went to BitDevs the week of consensus in New York City. And then it was me, DJ Seeds, Michael Tidwell from Therion. I don't think he's there anymore, though. Is he? No. He's at Zebedee now. Yeah, he's at Zebedee. Yeah. Uh, and. Um, who else was there? I'm drawing a blank on who else was there, but it was, uh, give me a second. I'm going to figure this out real quick. Um, Dan Anderson, that's who it was. Dan Anderson from Counterparty, uh, Michael Tidwell, myself, and DJ Seeds, this young little 19-year-old who just who came to the bar. I don't think he was even drinking because he wasn't old enough yet. And we met there, and we were just talking about Bitcoin that night. And uh, I just remember how uh, enthused he was about Bitcoin, and he said he was like a developer interested in Lightning. And then when we made the website a year later, in May of 2019, I emailed him. I was like, yo, can you... like?" hook up BTC pay server to our website and like make it so mm -hmm. we can accept Bitcoin payments in non-custodial fashion. He's like, yeah, dude. And then I was awesome. like, can you connect our BTC pay server to Shopify? And he was like, yeah, dude. And I was like, awesome. um, in between then, uh, the inception of TFTC.io and the first time we met at consensus, he had made Ellen cast. And I believe we were the first podcast, um, yep. to sign up on there. And it's, it's crazy. Like, yeah, like even to this day, DJ has hooked it up in a way where it hooks up to our TFTC node. So on our BTC pay server, I don't even pay attention to LNCast. Sorry, DJ, but like I go into our invoices, uh, mm -hmm. our paid invoices on BTC pay mm -hmm. server, and I just have a bunch of LNCast payments, 10 cents for episodes that people pay to listen to. It's just like I don't even pay attention to it, but I am getting stream payments via yep. Lightning. Uh, yep. For people who want to access my content, they could go listen to it for free mm -hmm. on some of these platforms. So some people decide to give us ten cents via LNCast, which is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that's you know, like it's because it's still like it's you know, I use I don't even know what I'm on Android, so I use all like 
janky apps. I use something called Podcast Republic for my podcast. And it's like still kind of hard to find new podcasts. And like, you know, there's not like a standard link that you can send around to people and stuff like that. Like there's a there's an opportunity still for somebody to build, you know, like something that's user friendly enough where, you know, yeah, you pay 10 cents for listen. I'd pay 10 cents to listen to your show, Marty. Absolutely. Right. Like, like no Thank problem. You, Ryan. Uh-huh. Uh, I might even pay like, you know, uh, you know, a dollar for somebody that has like a bunch of ads to listen to an ad free version. Right. Um, like, you know, and that's like the, if you could get to that point where that was the choice, like all of a sudden you start having podcasters that like, you know, they'd be beholden to their audience, not to the advertisers. Right. And that just is a very interesting thing that, you know, I don't really know what the implications of that are. Yeah. See what we have to figure out. Cause Matt and I talk about this all the time. We'd love to just do podcasts without advertisers where it's just purely mm-hmm. off donations or Patreon model. Mm-hmm. It's probably a nature of freaks not wanting to part ways with their sats yet, considering where Bitcoin yeah. is uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. in its uh, in its monetization path. Yeah. Um, but we have we have the con- contribute page. We have the shout outs. We get mm-hmm. I'm probably averaging like three to four shout outs a week now, which is like mm-hmm. 150 bucks, which is good. Yeah. Um, not enough to feed a family, right? But yeah. No, I know. Is, I know. It's yeah. like, but I do I do see. And I do hope that one day we will get there. And I think it will. It's just having the protocol being fully fleshed out to a point where it's easy and the UX and the UI is such where it's like, boom, boom, boom. Um, So before we dive headfirst into a lightning network conversation, let's rewind a little bit here. You talked about the fact that you lived in Arizona and Scottsdale for a little bit Intel. What were you doing there? What dragged you away from Intel uh, to Multicoin and what drove you to focus on Lightning at Multicoin that eventually led to your job at Lightning Labs? Yeah, so um, the, the origin story, not very exciting, but um, I was actually uh, an aerospace engineering undergrad at UT here in Austin. Um, was not, you know, I always like to say, like, I was an engineer. I wasn't like a very good engineer, but I was an engineer. Um, and, uh, with aerospace, my funny story about it is I was like really excited about like, I wanted to be the guy that like plotted the orbits for, you know, satellites or whatever. Like I was, I thought that was so cool. And so I sat down like second semester, junior year in my orbital dynamics class. But that was like, oh man, like this math is going to blow my mind. But like this, I'm excited about this. I want to learn this stuff. Very first class PhD student who was a TA presented to us his Excel spreadsheet that automated the orbital calculations for any orbit that you could ever want forever. And like he had he figured out the algorithm and it was done. And there was like no need for a human to do it. He, 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 he did, he, he ran the numbers. He did the math. He wrote the Excel <laughs> macro. He's like, yeah, here. Yeah. I yeah, figured it out. I was like, well, shit, now what am I going to do? <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I had a, I had a roommate senior year because uh, I didn't really like like, you know, the materials engineering, all the other stuff. Like it just wasn't really all that interesting to me. Um, uh, but like I had a uh, a roommate senior year, my buddy Josh, um, who was like really into startups and VC and stuff. And so I kind of got the bug of, of the tech industry then. 
um, and like wanting to work in tech. I also was working on like, there's a bunch of controls and communication stuff in aerospace. And so I got really into that. I thought that, that was, that was really cool. It's like, you know, like the nervous system of an airplane or a rocket ship. Right. I thought that was like, this is actually where the action happens. Right. This is what makes stuff, you know, either, either go or not. It changes the flaps and, you know, controls propulsion, all that sort of stuff. I thought that was interesting. So I went to Intel, um, to do controls engineering. Um, mostly just because like I liked controls and Intel was hiring. Um, and so I, uh, I moved out to, to Scottsdale and was working. It was a really cool experience looking back on it because like the fabs that Intel makes their chips in, you know, Intel, they've fallen off in a pretty big way. But, you know, at the time, they're probably like one of the biggest manufacturing sites still in the U.S., right? Like these fabs are just like staggeringly huge. Uh, bullish or bearish on the potential fab being built in Arizona by TSMC? Bullish in theory. Um, we'll see. We can talk about that later. Personal yeah. theory. I think Intel needs to get like taken over by Michael Saylor and he needs to spin out, um, a couple of fabs and just turn them into uh, manufacturing facilities for A6 instead. We need to bring Andy Grove back from the dead. Yeah. Uh, but so, uh, I was working in these fabs and like, you know, these are just, I mean, just like, like, you know, 10 football fields long, you know, five stories high filled with you know, like billions of dollars worth of equipment. There's like, you know, hydrochloric acid flowing all over the place. There's all these dangerous chemicals. Like it's just this crazy 24 seven operation. But the coolest thing about it is because the control systems are so good, like there's no humans in the building, like at all. Um, you would like go and I would like go and like walk down and like try and find out like where this panel was and stuff. And like, I'd be walking, you know, for 30 minutes and like not see a single person. And yet all what? this stuff is just running. It's crazy, man. Like, like seriously, it's, it's, it was like, it's, it's, it was like, if you ever get a chance to tour and you, the facility, are you in like a hazmat, not like a hazmat suit, but like a, no, you would be, you would be if you were like up in like the actual fab and I have like did go up in the fab, but like the only time people would go into like the actual clean room itself is like to fix tools or to do diagnostics. Like the rest of the time, it's just totally automated. Like a hundred percent, the whole process it's, it's insane. Let's describe these clean rooms a little bit more. Like you need a very, 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 very specific environment for this stuff to work. Oh man, I forget. I forget the the statistic. I'm sure it's on Intel's website or something like that. But it's like um, within like a cubic foot of air. This the specification was like within a cubic foot of air. There wasn't allowed to be um, a particle bigger, like wider than a single um, strand of hair. Like, you know, which is like a, a micron or something like that. I was like, it's like a micron per cubic foot or something like, like just, just like ridiculous level of, of clean, right? Because, you know, any, any little piece, um, any defect on a chip, you know, would cost millions of dollars. I think it was something like the Arizona plant was producing um, $10 million worth of revenue per minute or something like that. Holy shit maybe per hour that might be a little too much but it was like it was something like so this was you know for the control side it was like okay this stuff can't go down <laughs> right it, it can't fail because every minute that we're down we're costing the bottom line millions of dollars and so like it, this has to be redundant it has to be 24 7 it has to it has to keep going and so yeah like the, the clean rooms themselves um and intel are 
like it was something like, you know, a thousand times cleaner than an ER or something like that um, was like the, the stat that I remember. Um, so just, I mean, just, just like the, the amount of engineering that goes into ensuring that's the case 24 seven without a human in the loop is just unbelievable. And so, you know, like you go to get in the gear, it's kind of like um, uh, if you envision like the airlocks coming in from out of space, right? Where like you, you, you have the suit on, you go into the airlock, you close the door, and right? Like they hose you down all the space juice. And then like, you know, the door opens and you can walk back in and take off your suit. Like that's, it wasn't that cool, but like the experience was not all that different from that um, going into the clean room, which was, it, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing stuff. What kind of perspective does that get you for how much people take all the technology we have today for granted, like all the work is, that goes that, into that? That is a, a, a great question. Um, and it is so much of tech that people think about today is like, it's all software, right? It's all moving bits around on a web page. And the most important thing is that, you know, if you make a mistake, all you have to do is just like push an update. And so like, you know, people will do AB testing and all this stuff, which lets you iterate really, really fast. But if you're making stuff in the real world, like there's like real world consequences, right? You learn the most important thing. And I think this is one of the reasons why I grokked Bitcoin um, the way that I did. It leads you to really, really value prioritizing reliability and uh, reliability, particularly over efficiency. Right. And to understand like why sometimes you should just, you know, Intel's I always this was like a very interesting this had a big impact on me. Intel's like main core value was safety. Right. Because like when they were building fabs in the 90s, like semiconductor industry was was killing people like like construction workers, because I mean, seriously, they're like, you know, hydrochloric acid and like like really, really dangerous chemicals and, and all this stuff. They're on really high pressure timelines like people were dying on the construction sites on like a not super irregular basis. And so Intel's number one core value was safety. And the reason why this was actually, there was a business reason for it is if you're designing a process and it has all of these steps and you're dealing with chemicals and blah, 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 blah. The only way that you can know inside and out all of the failure modes, all the way, like how it works step by step, how it could, and most importantly, how it could go wrong each step is if you've thought it all the way through in case of like, what if my friend is doing this process and he dies? Like, and it's not safe and he gets hurt and they like can't go home to his family, right? So like prioritizing safety is like the core value, which is something, you know, that's not a core value of Google or Facebook or like any, any software company, software development company, right? That's like totally just a foreign idea entirely. But prioritizing safety in a, in a company that deals with hardware and deals with the real world, like there's a business value for it. And like people took, you know, these are like grown men with beards doing construction, like, you know, tattoos, serious guys who were like really took safety seriously. And I was just like, that had a big, it was something totally I did not expect, but it had a really big impact on me. Um, specifically because it's like, you know, you got to understand all the ways this thing can go wrong before you even pilot it. Right. Which for the, the astute listener kind of sounds like making changes to Bitcoin core, doesn't it? Right. It does. It does. I think about that. So like, like I'm using a, a computer with an Intel four core processor. I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. They're everywhere. 
maybe not yeah. for all that much longer, um, but but they still are today. <laughs> I uh, I have hope that Intel can make a comeback. I hope so too. Um, but yeah, so so I was at at Intel for a while. Learned a lot of really good lessons about specifically like 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 exactly what you asked about about you know engineering in the real world when there are consequences to your actions. Um, and then 2017 happened. Um, and I had like, you know, uh, a relatively insignificant amount of Bitcoin. Um, but you know, had some friends that had it, had some Bitcoin too. And at the time I had like moved from being a controls engineer to being, you know, it's kind of a, a silly title, but I was an internet of things engineer. So I was on this team that was like piloting new cool internet IOTG products. So, you know, like smart um, trash cans and like, you know, smart toilets and like stuff like, like nothing like really all that exciting, but like the concept of like, you know, you're going to have a computer on every traffic light and on every car and they're going to be talking and blah, 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 all this sort of stuff um, was really interesting. And it was really interesting specifically because I just couldn't stop thinking about like, man, well, like in order for there to be all these devices out in the wild somewhere, like they're going to have to have some way to pay each other to forward this data, right? Like the telecoms are not going to be able to manage all of this stuff. Like they're, 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 they're too old. They're too bloated. This is too low of ROI. Like they gotta, there's gotta be some way that these devices are going to be able to pay each other. Um, and so that just happened to coincide with 2017 and, the ICO madness and all this sort of stuff. Um, and so I just caught, I caught the bug. Um, and there was so much noise in the space, you know, like I was, uh, there was so much noise in the space. And of course I went from, you know, having an insignificant amount of Bitcoin to having a kind of significant amount of Bitcoin to having like a huge pile of shit coins <laughs> as, as everybody does. Right. Uh, and I was just like, man, like, the answer to what I'm looking for, like, this is obviously the next big thing somewhere in this pile of madness. This is obviously the next big thing. Um, but uh, I don't know which of these things is for real. I don't know, you know, where in this space is the solution that I'm looking for, for all of these machine to machine payments, but like, I'm certain that it's here somewhere. Um, so that was really well timed. And then, you know, what better way to get a vantage point of, kind of the whole crypto space and, you know, dive deep into every single project than working at a venture capital firm. And it just so happened that I was living in Scottsdale at the time that Multicoin Capital was based in Austin and was hiring kind of a technical analyst to read a bunch of white papers and kind of call bullshit on projects that were real and that weren't. And I was like, you know, that was a match made in heaven. I got to move back to Austin um, the summer that I was getting married to my wife, who's from San Antonio, who we met at UT together. Um, I got to, you know, get paid to research this industry that I was like certain the solution that I was looking for was was a part of. Um, it was just kind of like a match made in heaven. Um, so got to move back, got started, you know, working on Multicoin, and you know, really enjoyed it. Was was it's a group of really smart guys. Spent like a year there you know, after really like diving deep into Bitcoin, like figured out like this is the thing, right? Like this is this is what makes sense. The the, the thing that really got me more than anything else was um, 
the about Bitcoin's value prop was the lower time preference. More than more than anything else, like that Why was a thing. So I remember, like you know, we both I think we're about the same age, but you know, being in kind of high school in uh, 2000, 2007, 2008, um, was just like, what are these people doing? <laughs> uh, right? And then like, like all of the short term, I just remember like, you know, being very naive, but paying attention um, and seeing all the just like ridiculous short term thinking when like people I knew had lost their jobs and lost their houses and all this sort of stuff and were hurting and like watching all the politics on, on TV and stuff. And and hearing about how it all got fixed when Obama got elected and then seeing Obama like, you know, disappoint and a lot of things he set out to do because of like all of the short term thinking was I was like, but this, this could all be fixed if we all just agreed to think long term. Like these aren't unsolvable problems, right? Like I was, you know, I'm dealing with, you know, aerospace engineering and working at Intel. Like this is, there's nothing like unsolvable about this. It's just that we all have this like really you know what i knew, didn't know at the time was high time preference and so figuring out like oh the problem is the money that makes sense like i can i can get behind that right that just it just like i remember reading i don't remember probably like a um a third of easter thing or, or some some bitcoiner on twitter or maybe it was like a you know a, a screenshot of a mises um piece i haven't actually read any mises but maybe one of these days i thought you're i thought you're subtweeting my bent today i had a screenshot of a human action in the bent today (laughs) i did yeah i did see that uh uh but that just like it just like it just grabbed hold of me and i was like oh well that's again like this is kind of the solution i was looking for and like to digress a little bit one other interesting thing about aerospace was like you know um SpaceX's phenomenal achievements aside, like there's, there's really like, there's not really all that many technical barriers to, you know, settling the moon and, you know, launching rockets to Mars or Europa or whatever, like all the problems are political and economic, right? It's, it's, it's that we can't agree how to fund this stuff. It's all government managed because none of these companies can make money on their own. Like there's no market for any of this stuff. Um, and so like it's we've just been stuck for you know 50 years with this amazing technology that just like can't find a way out um and so i was like you know interested in kind of what those political and economic problems were um and then just kind of bitcoin just hit me like a ton of bricks um and then the other thing of course that we can jam on for a while i think is falling in love with proof of work proof of work is just amazing it's it's so elegant it's so beautiful that's what um as you've been describing your journey here i'm trying to figure out how to structure the rest of this conversation because i want to take it down so many paths and i think if you're going to bring up proof of work i was going to ask you like what was it like reading all those white papers but we all know it's all bullshit like you you read five and then you're like all right the rest are going to be like this there's nothing really novel yeah and it's sad, but it's, it's, it's correct. And I, and, and it's a, this is a good time to take a divergence because like really the, the, the most, the genesis behind so many, so many of the white papers and the ICOs and all of this stuff is not understanding proof of work, not appreciating proof of work is thinking they can improve upon proof of work 
rather than because again it's like a fetish for efficiency rather than accepting like oh man this thing is so resilient and that's the point and we can't design something that will be more resilient and so we should just accept that this is going to this is going to be what works and that like because it's a global free market um for energy like it, we can we can kind of have you know the, the faith is that market forces will make sure that proof of work continually decentralizes with the caveat of course that if you guys haven't read um andrew polster's paper on on proof of work and on, on asics in particular like he makes the argument that proof of work actually has like a thermodynamic incentive to decentralize because like there's only so much energy that you can take up in one spot and that's something that just i mean that just goes like way over all of the crypto vcs and the you know computer science phds they they just don't they again because they've never dealt with anything in like the physical world right like they, they that doesn't make any sense to them yeah i mean it's one of my dcs in the space people like you mentioned and have been uh alluding to a lot of people vcs particularly see this as a software revolution where i think it's just as much as a hardware revolution that many people are overlooking yep. as it been i know i talk about great american mining a lot on this podcast now but it's hard not to considering how close you are to what's going on on the ground with mining and this is again just as much as a hardware revolution as it is a software like there is physical infrastructure that needs to be built out to make sure that this networks assist into perpetuity absolutely no and and and, and that's something that people forget and i so i tweeted about this the other day it's like it's a misunderstanding of what layer we're at in the stack right like you know intel was intel was an important company until you know from like the 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 first Fairchild semiconductor folks, which I think was like early seventies, um, they were an important company all through the eighties when like, you know, it's 10 years of internet existing, uh, computers existing, PCs existing, you know, enterprises using, um, you know, the internet before the nineties when they became like a globally important company. And they're still like, you know, they were improving massively on their hardware the whole time. Right. The people, you know, the, the people only remember post iPhone when all that stuff was just magic. Right. It just happened. Like there was, there was a long time of infrastructure build out, hardware improvements, all this stuff before it got to just app layer stuff. And yeah, I, I, told, I think you're absolutely right that we're just in this. We're in this early build out period where you need to have kind of a low time preference. You need to understand that it, it, it takes time, not only like like one of the things with the internet was like really it, it a generational shift for people to just for the kids that grew up with the internet to be able to just take to it like water right um and i think it'll be a similar kind of thing here where like you know your kid's gonna grow up and be like wait why would i want somebody else to custody my money or like why would i trust somebody else with the money supply that that's ridiculous. But like our parents and even, you know, people in our generation who, who haven't really gotten religion yet, uh, they, they don't get it right. They're like, no, but it's always been this way. Uh, and that's just, it's just, it's going to take time. Right. And while it does take that time, I think this is something that both you and I believe and have talked about, uh, 
earlier this year when we were in Dallas is that there's an order of operations to this. I say it a lot, but you particularly, I feel like, uh, are the one person that I have actually meshed with like the most on this particular thought. It's a thesis, right? For me, I'm dumb. Mm -hmm. I'm a fucking podcaster. Uh, I studied economics. I don't, I can make you a shitty website with HTML and CSS. I'm dumb. I've had six concussions, but just like, you know, the meme where it's like the, the caveman on oh, the yeah. left side of the bell curve. And I then, love that. I love that uh, meme. Absolutely. I'm the, I'm the caveman on the left side where I just have this intuition where I'm just like, yes, I, I feel it. And this is the way, is there an order of operations to all this? And if so, what, how would you articulate that order of operations? It's a great question. I absolutely think there's an order of operations. Um, and it's, I mean, like, we get really wild. What I think is is really happening here is um, I think that Bitcoin is uh, like a, a digitally native. I got this idea actually from Sergey at uh, at BitRefill, who didn't say this in so many words, but he certainly like inspired the idea. Bitcoin is a is a is a internet native nation state founded on principles of of sound money and we're going to war with all of the rest of the nation states, economic peaceful war for the world's capital, right? And so you kind of see this nation state that started off on the internet, like slowly expanding. Like if you were to go to war with all of the rest of the world's nation states, like what's the most critically important industry that you would try and infiltrate? Energy, number one, right? Most important out like I mean, you know people have gone to war over energy for thousands of years there's proxy years. wars right now going on over energy there's proxy wars right now absolutely over pipelines over you know it, it's the most important thing is the lifeblood right and so what is the first industry that bitcoin's like really going after and attacking thanks to proof of work the energy industry right and it's not like we're going in it's not you know maybe not yet it's going in and companies are doing like hostile takeovers or anything, but it's, it's infiltrating, right? We're getting in there, getting on the balance sheet, um, building relationships and, you know, going after oil and gas is just, you know, like just the most important thing that people dismiss. The most important thing I think going on in the world today that people dismiss, um, which just, it just blows my mind that people don't take it seriously. Um, it's, it's, it's phenomenally important. Oh, we at Great American Mining. Hope that people keep uh, overlooking this aspect of Bitcoin proof of work. <laughs> it's it's and so like you know so I think order of operations right you you want to go and take over the world's capital and be resilient right and be and be able to protect the capital of your citizens. What's kind of like the next industry? And it's interesting too when you think about it like this. It kind of progresses in a stack in a layered uh, layered manner. Maybe kind of consider like you know mining is layer zero or something right layer one with the actual asset itself is the financial industry right and so you know being able to provide and this is why i love unchained being able to take advantage of the native features of the bitcoin provides and in, in terms of multi-sig is like that's a you've never been able to do that before right what's like you know everybody you know again the, with the i love the bell curve meme because what's something that everybody on each side of the bell curve knows is a saying possession is nine tenths of the law, right? If I have it, 
it's mine, <laughs> right? Uh, and so if all of a sudden the most important asset in the world, you know, you have the ability for, no, it's actually, you know, these three or five keys have it. And like everybody agrees because we're all in consensus on, on which keys on the CTXO. Um, that's just a brand new primitive, right? That, that finance doesn't really know how to deal with. And I think we're really early. Like we can see this happening, you know, those of us, the enlightened ones, can see this happening with energy, right? We, we can see it happening with proof of work. It's, it's, it's happening and it's not slowing down. And, you know, oh, I meant to say this at the at the start of the podcast, but um, Sorry, you need on me. I yeah. need you launched it, yeah. The number one reason I'm bullish on Bitcoin, Marty, is I'm bullish on Bitcoiners. And 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 the, the, the entrepreneurs that I met when I was at Multicoin that are working in, that's working on Bitcoin companies, the, the Steve Barbers, the Elizabeth Starks, um, you know, the, the Unchained guys, Drew and, and Joe, um, you just go down the list, right? Just unbelievably impressive people. Um, like, like just, just so impressive. So, so sharp, so driven, um, so, so committed to, to what they're doing and just, just talented at what they're doing. Um, Steve Barber, I think is, is, I think pretty much everybody agrees is like the best example of that. Steve's my boy. I fucking love you, yeah. Steve. Um, but so you got, you got energy industry, right? And we can see that happening. The next, uh, is finance, right? And I think, I think through a combination of letting people kind of hold their own keys, um, letting there be this new kind of collaborative custody primitive. Um, I think that's kind of like the next industry that gets infiltrated, right? Maybe like after this next bull, we start seeing companies kind of, you know, start, even if it's just acquiring Bitcoin right or acquiring custodians like paypal is rumored to do with bitco right like that's one way that, that would be crazy that would be crazy right that would be one way that i don't know if i want infiltrate. i don't know if i want paypal uh buying bitco yet though i don't, I don't know. know if i the trust paypal I don't, I don't either it'll be it'll be interesting to see who jp morgan buys uh <laughs> in at the in, in november of 2021 well it'll be interesting to see if they can even buy anybody or right yeah. Hey, Bitcoin companies out there, know your worth. Know your Absolutely. worth. Do that. Do that future cash flow. Mm-hmm. And even Price if those it is bitcoins G- at a million dollar a coin, right? Absolutely. No. Uh, so that'll be really interesting, I think. Um, and then, I think what's next, you know, and I think uh, I, I, I did uh, again because like my my IoT experience. Like, what's the next like critical industry? Um, that's generally state owned and is like uh, one of the things also is like when you go about this on this kind of industry level on nation state it's like you know the energy energy industry is kind of ripe for disruption because of all the um manipulation and 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 stuff by the state right um in, in terms of regulation flaring all that sort of stuff right subsidies um and 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 and, and non-us countries generally the energy industry companies are owned by the state um, just outright. So they're super inefficient and, and, and corrupt and all that sort of stuff. Right. So, so right for disruption by, you know, purely capitalist, um, companies you know, powered by Bitcoin finance, same thing, generally state owned, uh, heavily regulated, um, generally right for disruption, fat and happy. What's like the next industry that's like that, that deals with mostly digital goods, it's telecom, telecom trillions of dollars uh of of capital of capex every every year right massive massive industry 
completely owned by by the state. I think AT&T, Raul Paul tweeted about this the other day, AT&T is the most heavily indebted company on the planet. Um, right? Like, really? Yeah. yeah Rob, I don't know. I saw Raul Paul tweet about it. Fact check me, you know, Stasi on the internet. Um, but I believe it because like that's, they what their business model is the government gives them, you know, the government, the banks give them, you know, they sell 30 year bonds and then they have 30 years to make up that revenue in subscription payments. And talk about a incentive to become complacent a mechanism right? through which to drive complacency. Right. And so everybody hates their telecom. Right. And so I think like, I don't know if it's lightning itself, if it's a layer on top of lightning, if it's, you know, how exactly this progresses, but I think that's kind of the next major industry um, to get toppled by Bitcoiners or to get infiltrated by Bitcoiners um, is telecom. And then after that, I'm like, that's, that's about as far as, as I can see right now. Um, but those three, right. Energy first finance, second telecom, third is just massively important. And you get, you get kind of Bitcoiners in control of all three of those. Like, do you really need everything else? Right. Like, I think I think your the Bitcoin Bitcoin's capital would be pretty safe um, if 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 you had kind of the energy industry, the financial financial industry globally and the telecom industry all fighting to protect it because the incentives are aligned. I 100 percent agree there. And so that's the that's I mean, I think you were, I ran well, a little bit there. No, you ran it. Right. But the question we have to ask is, is that order of operations necessary for a cryptocurrency protocol to succeed right yeah and, and take well take most of the market with it right yep. like, is yep. that yep. like so, so let's compare what you just described seems to be the order of operations that bitcoin as a protocol and an industry is taking mm-hmm. is there any way that that can be reorganized like Ethereum's going software first. Yeah. Um, doesn't really care about mining. Wants to go proof of stake. Yeah. Is there any any chance that that is a more advantageous order of operations? If so, why? If not, why? Well, I think for for a cryptocurrency to succeed globally, um, I think the whole point of succeeding is it avoids being captured. Right. It avoids being captured by um, by any specific cartel. Like this is one of the really interesting things. You know, I don't know if if it's just that. Like in the bear market, I really understand. I understand now why all the people that were around in 2015 and 2016, like in 2017, 2018, when I first started paying attention, they were like, man, I missed the bear market. Right. Because in like 2018, like reading all those white papers, like people were serious. People were talking about like, no, this protocol you know, will be captured by a cartel because of these reasons and like having like, like really serious debates and telegram on Twitter and stuff. And like, now it's just food tokens. Right. And, 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 and nobody cares anymore. Um, but there was, that was like a really serious thing when talking about, you know, new consensus mechanisms. And so I just think proof of stake, like by, by definition is captured by a cartel. So it's, it's a non-starter. So, or ipso facto, like you have to use proof of work 
And the only way for proof of work to really get globally decentralized is to get in bed with the energy industry. And so like, I, 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 I don't even think we need to project any further out than that. Honestly, I think, I think on, I mean, if you don't take proof of work seriously and you don't, um, you don't buy into ASICs and the, the decentralization that you get from, um, having ASICs, uh, and, 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 and the, the censorship resistance that you get from, from having ASICs in your protocol. Like, I don't think you can make it to the next level. Let's dive in here and circle back to Andrew Polster's paper mm-hmm. and dive into the specifics of that. What is the nature of the hardware involved and the scarcity, the energy involved that in Andrew's mind would lead to a natural decentralization of the physical nature of the protocol? Yep. Um, well, so first off, like the, the problem with prioritizing GPUs, I mean, it's, it's one thing. The other thing about it is like so much of the, uh, the distaste towards proof of work is not clear eyed and, and reasoned. It's, it's, it's political. Especially when you're close to it, you're like, you people have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, they have no idea. It's all politics, right? And so it's not even politics. It's feels like yeah, yeah. Maybe well, fe- yeah, yeah. Politics is feels these days. That's Poli- yeah, but it but it is both, right? And it's 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 they're they're interlocked. And so, um, like the the idea that like you know, oh, this isn't decentralized because like I can't mine with my gaming computer anymore. It's like, come on, grow up. Like that's just, it doesn't matter. Right. And, and what you're sacrificing the trade-off is, is if you, you prioritize GPUs, um, you like how many, there's how many GPUs are doing deep learning right now. You're 51% attackable by anybody that matters on the planet instantly because and, you're not the highest value use case for your hardware. And then on top of that, I would argue you're prioritizing inefficiency. Like why wouldn't you want the chip to be as efficient as possible? Absolutely. Yep. Like prioritizing other use cases for it. It's a, it's not a serious thing, right? Serious people. Like you want somebody to go out and, and you want the incentive to be so good that somebody's going to go out and knock on the door of somebody with a wellhead in North Dakota and say, Hey, like, I, can I take your energy off your hands? Like we can, we can work out a deal here, right? Like that's, that's somebody taking this seriously, right? You, you want somebody protecting the consensus mechanism of your blockchain is, you know, like, in the old days protecting fort knox right or like you know protecting the emperor of your of your country right like that's like the most important thing that you can do protecting the consensus mechanism again like 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 taking safety seriously at intel um like you should sacrifice almost everything in order to make sure that that is as safe and secure as possible and so like that's like the first reason for for having asics um the second reason is you know you want it is inevitable if this money becomes a global money this cryptocurrency becomes a global money that somebody will try and set up a farm to control consensus and print themselves seniorage right like that's 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 inevitable it may take a long time but like that's that would be the the only rational move to make uh is to try and capture the consensus mechanism because who doesn't want to print themselves free money so because it's inevitable that that will happen um you want people to professionalize as soon as possible and for there to be it to be an open competition that everybody is is trying to do this same thing right like 
you know, although, um, you know, the Bitmain tried already and, and failed to do this, like, it's good that they tried. It's, it's better that they failed. Icarus. Yep, absolutely. I, I mean, you say that a lot, and I, I, I don't know how many people, like, really get it, but I just, like, is so correct to me. That's exactly what they are right they flew too close to the sun they 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 reach too high and at some point if i ever have like you know a month of downtime i would love to write like a harvard business review type study on like how jihan <laughs> just screwed up the best opportunity to be king of the world that anybody has ever had right it's like ah oh, you had you oh. had the ability to to get out of a proverbial jail being you are subject to certain whims of your government or anybody in the world and you fucked it up <laughs> like for bcash oh, <laughs> right. man just uh, what an idiot oh man um, you know what that lesson yes. needs to be learned though somebody needed to yeah some somebody needed to fail just somebody so needed to, to fail on. and it just so happened to be him but it's like it's inevitable that if you're if you're if you're your cryptocurrency becomes important. Um, and, and so again, I think we can, we can bash proof for stake here in a little bit, but I think it has to be proof of work. Um, and so it's inevitable that, that um, you will, people will professionalize and try and capture the consensus mechanism. So, you know, Bitcoin's kind of, before Udi disappeared from Twitter, he had a great tweet, um, you know, RIP. Where'd you go? Yeah, RIP. It's out of nowhere. Uh, I know. Um, he had a great tweet about how, like, you know, the whole point of Bitcoin is that the rules so of the game were set, and you and know what you're planning change. for. Yeah, right? we, we everybody knows it, it's it's that's that's like you know, equality of opportunity, right? Everybody knows what the rules are, right? It's 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 a land grab. There's 21 million spots, and you know, go, right? Um, and uh, it's not only so, that there's 21 million spots, that these 21 million spots will be distributed in this fashion. Mm -hmm. With this technology, yep. go, right? Absolutely. Right. And so you want people to, you, people will inevitably professionalize. You want them to do that, you know, as soon as possible. And the beautiful thing about requiring the burning of energy in order to participate in consensus is there's only so much energy in each spot in the world, right? Even if you were to go and like, flare natural or flare oil in saudi arabia or something i don't even know what like the the most dense energy rich part of the of the planet is um but even if you were to do that or you know mining in hydro in china like still you're gonna hit a limit right and you're gonna have to geographically disperse i think we're i mean speaking with some miners in china i think the hydroelectric energy is already starting to the price of that hydro is starting to get driven up because of the yep. demand from from proof of work mining. Yep, I I heard that, that I had like heard kind of whispers about that and theories about it like a year ago, but that's really good to hear that it's it, it's happening now because then it's like okay, well, you know, I'm not just gonna like sit on my hands and shut down my business, right? Like I'm gonna go scavenge, I'm gonna go find energy where I can compete, uh, and, and where I can continue. And so like, just naturally, because energy is a geographically distributed resource, and because miners have to have energy in order to mine, they will geographically distribute. Um, and so then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, so we have this massive competition, brutal, one of my favorite charts 
um, of all time is you look at, um, I think it's, it's like dollars per hash or, or something. I think it's, I think it's dollars per hash or maybe it's, maybe it's Bitcoin per, per hash earned. It's just like dollars per terahash goes down. No, but the one um, there's, there's one, I think it's, I think it's in, in, I think it's Bitcoin per hash because it's like the native unit and it is just like straight down. <laughs> I mean, it is like, it's like, this is what a purely competitive commodity market looks like, right? This is just brutal market pressure on, on pricing. I think hash rate index, um, the guys from Luxor mining track this. Yeah. So it's funny that I'm saying it's one. I, I looked at it like a year ago and I was like, oh, holy shit. I don't remember what the actual metrics are, but it was just like, like, this is, this is what it looks like to have a brutally competitive, perfect free market globally competing for this scarce resource is it's just like, just drives, drives the cost down just immeasurably. Right. Just, just amazingly efficient. Um, and so we have that working and like the nice side effect of everybody going out and trying to win the lottery, uh, by by you know burning energy to to win uh to try and win block rewards is they just naturally geographically distribute and you know it's really hard and this is another thing that's that's tough for people to get is like because these are people like this is not a software business these are people like you need somebody there managing this stuff even if it's like a contractor or something right like that just de facto means that it's going to be really really hard for one company to own all this stuff right? It's going to be distributed. You're going to have to have relate local relationships with local people because all of these like really important energy sources, like either they're owned by like private, private property owners, like in North Dakota, or they're owned by the state. And like, you, you're going to need relationships. You're not going to be able to be a rich guy from New York walking into, you know, the Sudan or something to go on mine Bitcoin and like, you know, just make it happen. Like <laughs> you're going to need to be a local. And that's something that people really don't understand. And yeah. so there's many factors to the point you just made there. You need that boots on the ground because you're specifically, so I'll just speak from the context of mining an oil field that is, and you're using waste gas. The waste gas isn't, It isn't the same on every well pad. Like you have a different BTU content and depending on the BTU content. So the uh, British thermal unit, it, it ranges usually between 1000 and 2000 and the closer you get to 2000, it's considered wet gas and the wetter the gas, the more you have to uh, scrub it and uh, condition it to make it consumable through a generator, the lower the BTU content, the uh the better you can take it out of the ground at a btu content of 1200 and basically put it in a propane can tank maybe a bit lower around like 1080 you could probably push it into a propane tank and so there's nuance there with you yep. have to have the ability to know how you need to treat the gas specifically yep. uh that's just one thing you need to know the molecules you're dealing with and what you need to do with those particular molecules number two like you mentioned, there's a bunch of small, like I think people don't understand that there are a bunch of small landowners that have mineral rights and own mm -hmm. minerals. Like yep. the amount of small businesses that have, uh, that run oil producing businesses is crazy. That's the number thing. I know. 
that's uh, you're in Texas. You know better than most. I, uh, I, I, the only thing I know about oil and gas, which is I'm sure disappointing to all of my friends and family who work in oil and gas, is that any time I try and argue about them or argue with them about it, I get owned. Like I, I it is way more complicated and uh, way harder for somebody to just like step in without knowing all that much to try and say, well, actually, why don't you do this? Like every time I try, I just get dominated. So yeah, I, it's complicated. It's really complex and it takes a lot of expertise and like local expertise in particular. Yes. Well, all right. Transition to the locality here. You have different regulations, different laws in different jurisdictions. Like, and that's so like particularly in the Bakken, the Bakken versus the Permian is completely different. Like North Dakota has crazy strict laws and there's a a regulator, there's a regulatory arbitrage there as well as a BTU content arbitrage, as well as a yep. price arbitrage. Like yep. the the variables that go into all this stuff are, are many and complex. And like you're alluding to, the likelihood of one company being able to figure that out and monopolize that whole stack, especially considering property rights and the fact there are a bunch of small producers who who could just withhold from allowing yep. the monopoly to come in like it doesn't make sense that whatever becomes centralized in my mind at least not at all no, and you're talking to somebody you're talking to somebody who's trying to go consume as much waste Absolutely. gas as possible to buy bitcoin and that's like, and that's and that's and that's that's the beautiful thing about it is everybody who like like that's one of the things that it it you know you know working at a venture capital firm it was like well mining businesses are are terrible businesses for for vc money right like they're not going to hit scale like why would I ever like it's just not interesting to them and like I don't know I can I can kind of see the argument like software businesses scale better like you know blah 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 I was really interested in investing in in mining companies but like I you know it's 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 kind of a, like it's honestly a better use for like private equity capital than venture capital um it, it, at this stage right like investing in like an ASIC manufacturer would like that would be a venture capital worth investment. Like investing in somebody that has like a really asymmetric access to energy, that would probably work, but yeah. But anyway, like that's not really all that important. The important thing is, is that they like, because they disregard proof of work and they disregard miners, um, they don't really consider the fact that like, nobody is more bullish on Bitcoin than miners are, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> miners are the ones that they're like, I want a dollar cost average. I want to work my ass off and go and talk to all of these you know, people out in the sticks that own these mineral rights because like, I want to buy cheap Bitcoin for forever for my job. <laughs> right. And it's possible freaks. It's happening. It's happening. It's, it's, it's not easy though. Uh, no. And it shouldn't be. No, but, but like everybody, like the incentive that will just continue to drive increased efficiency. It will continue to drive um, increased um, decentralization distribution it will continue to drive these ambitious miners to go and find um, cheaper and cheaper sources of energy and one thing that can bring you freaks peace of mind is knowing again this is so we do a weekly webinar I, I hate to bring great American mining in. I don't hate to bring it in. I love to bring it in but I know some of you freaks may be like oh he's Bill uh, baby chill He's, uh, he's being self-serving right now, but like, honestly, like it's my day job. I can't not think about it. There's a symbiotic relationship budding between the oil and gas industry 
in Bitcoin miners. And it is, once you get it, it's like very obvious. And it's like, all right, this is what we need to focus on. But it's not easy. It's, there's so much give and take. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, I forget exactly the point I was trying to make. I'm ranting now. The, uh, the Buffalo Trace is starting to hit me. Um, but no, it's, 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 it's like the, once you, once you get it and you get kind of the point of going after, like, I don't know, I think Bitcoin itself price goes above 20 K that'll be your best marketing to the oil and gas companies. Right. All of a sudden they'll be like, Hey, who was that guy that wanted to get us some of this Bitcoin? And when it was at three K and now it's back up at all time highs, it's like we should, we should get him back on the phone. We should figure out what's going on here with this thing. Yeah, fuck. I wish I remember what I had. I had a really good point to make, and I just fucked it. I'll think of it later. But you'll think of it later. No, but I, it, it'll it'll be a no brainer. And not to harp on Great American Mining too much, but that's like our thesis is that Bitcoin mining as an alternative revenue stream, especially when we get to levels that you were just describing, when you get approach all time highs again, and uh, we get back into a, like a, a raging bull market, the opportunity cost of ignoring that revenue stream becomes too high it's just like you can't ignore it at that point yep i've been shilling it to my friends um i again i know a ton of people that work in oil and gas i've been shilling it to my friends ever since i like really probably like i don't know year year and a half or so um since i really got it and and figured out what was going on here and like slowly and slow they didn't take me seriously at first but slowly they're like hey like you know especially there's a i don't know you know, you guys might be aware of this. There's like a lady running for the railroad commission here in Texas uh, next Tuesday. That's like really going to crack down on, on flaring. And flaring, like she has, a, yeah. she has a pretty good chance to win. So like, they're all kind of like, Oh man, like we're like wargaming this in our office. And like, we were throwing out crazy. Like I had a buddy tell me this the other day that like, we were throwing out crazy ideas. And I was like, what if we mine Bitcoin with it? And like, I didn't get laughed out of the room. Right. Like it's, it's, it's slow and, and you got to have like a low time preference and kind of trust the process, but like it's happening. And I think that that's like, that's like one of the most bullish things that can happen. Yeah. No, the, what's going on with the Texas railroad uh, commission. We've been planning for that. Like, it's been obvious that they're going to, it's, it's so, I'm thinking of Alex Jones's appearance on uh Rogan last night because they talked about carbon emissions and stuff like that, mm. but we should be as efficient with the energy that we're pulling out of the ground as possible. Bitcoin mining presents that opportunity. You should not be flaring, inventing natural gas. Yep. Like you're Absolutely literally not. just burning it and wasting economic activity or opportunity. Yep. Excuse me. You should be running that through an ASIC and producing Bitcoin with it. But with that being said, like a lot of what's going on, like it, it's a virtue signal, like the ESG mandates and stuff like that. It's, I wish I, it was more driven via efficiency narratives versus the world's going to end if we don't do this narrative. Yeah. Person. You know, I, it's one of those things where it's like, it's, it's a narrative. I think that's in general with a lot of that stuff, I subscribe to the belief that like, these are mostly good people that think they're doing the right thing and they've just kind of like bought on to a wrong narrative and either they've like, they realize it and are too deep in to like pull themselves out or they haven't realized it yet. And they actually, you know, are, are 
think they're doing the right thing, you know, for better or for worse. Uh, I think reality will prove them wrong. Um, and hopefully they don't do too much damage. Um, before. So You're I'm seen in California right now. You had rolling blackouts yeah, in I San know. Francisco last night. Cause... I know. I, I, you know, like that's one of those things where like, it's going to seem I'm, I'm, I'm very, you know, that's one of the really nice things about living in Texas, right? Like this lady might get elected. She may like crack down and stuff. Things ever got like a little too weird. If the, if the state was cracking down like a little too hard on things, like the Texans would kind of perk up and be like, uh, <laughs> hey, this isn't really how we do things around here. <laughs> you know, like we, we're, we got a nice thing going here. Uh, you're, you're not helping. Uh, we're going to kindly ask you to leave. Yes. Politely. Politely. As we, ha- as we have our hand on our holster here. Yeah, tip of, the, tip of the cap and a hand on the holster. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, uh, yeah, no, we're not th- we're not threatening anybody on TFTC. This is uh, absolutely not. No, I don't know the Texan way either. Chivalry. Chivalry. It's yeah. not dead. Is it dead yet? That's the question. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's alive and well in Austin, Texas. Well, it, it's really alive and well in like sticks. Um, Austin is kind of like just a normal big city. Well, big. Hold the door, freaks. Yeah. Just that that one little act of chivalry. Just hold the door. Just hold the door. Wow. Yes. R.I.P. to Hodor, though. Game of Thrones fans. All right, Pete. Well, didn't, um, what's his name, the author, come out and say that's not the way uh, I would have envisioned it? I don't know. I, uh, I was a, I read the Game of Thrones books in high school and was like an enormous fan. Um, and I'm just glad that I got to see an ending. Because I've been waiting for the next book for like eight years now, and it's like, <laughs> what's, what's, what? That's a ridiculous thing to have happen. Were you? Uh, was the ending good enough for you? I don't care. I, I'm glad I got to see it end. I, I, I had waited for forever to see yeah. some sort of conclusion, to see what had happened after the fifth book, and so like you know, eh, whatever. I, I don't really care. I'm glad I got to see it end. I don't have much skin in that game. I never read any of the books, so my brother did, and he would yeah. tell me about it. I'll be a nerd. He is a bit of one. But back to Bitcoin. We just took a deep dive into proof of work. I think yeah. it's imperative if this is ever going to be successful. And actually, one thing that reinforced that is rereading the paper uh, by Trubisky. I forget it. Trubisky. I forget his first name. But if you freaks listen to the episode of Crispin Dixon from CoinShares, he brought it back up. And This is excellent. Yes, I love Chris. One of my favorite people to talk to in this space. That's another um, one. You want to talk about sorry, being bullish on Bitcoiners. Like the the mining space, the Crispin Dixons, um, you know, the Luxor guys, the Biduda guys, um, man, just just top top notch. Like like phenomenal people. The the, the guys that you want on your team. Right, and it goes back to like low time preference. Like the thing that pissed me off, and still pisses me off to this day about like Ethereum and everybody's been caught hook, line, and sinker to that narrative is, it's a shifting narrative. There's no yeah. stability in. What was it first? It was like Casper, then Radon, then Plasma. So let's get into this. Like, yeah, let's shit on Ethereum for a little bit. Let's let's shit. They're they're. They're nihilists, right? Well, so I, I, I even back a couple of ways. So, so we talked earlier about like what's what's the number one thing you want to avoid for this thing to get globally big? You want to get you want to avoid capture, 
you want to avoid capture by a cartel. Ethereum's already been captured. Like, like it's already been captured. Remember what, like, the number one thing, like, the, the, the number one application that people wanted on Ethereum in, like, 2014 was DAI, right? Was, was MakerDAO, the decentralized stablecoin, to be able to pay people for running servers in, like, U.S. dollar denominations. You know what the number one collateral in MakerDAO is right now? The number one, USDC. <laughs> another a, a fiat backed centralized stable coin it's hard like that was their number that was their central bank right their distributed central bank that was supposed to be like the thing that bitcoin couldn't do it's already been captured hey we've got the transition to 2.0 coming it's going to fix all the problems but is it coming <laughs> right like you know you've been around a lot longer than i have but even i'm kind of like man, like, what are they doing? Uh, it's been forever. And like, it's going to be really, really interesting to see. Because, you know, one thing that, you know, hopefully, the freaks are not paying close enough attention to know this detail of like Beef 2.0. But like, if this beacon chain launches, if this phase zero of the three phase plan happens, um, people that send their ETH off to phase zero, they can't get it back. Yeah, right. So like, they are literally lighting their ETH on fire, you know, shooting it out into the river, uh, trying to land it in, you know, some boat that they don't really know which direction it's going. Like how much ETH is actually going to take the plunge? What if like both sides, I think are bad. What if not a lot of ETH goes and it's like, oh, well, 2.0 is obviously a failure. Nobody cares. Or what if a ton of ETH goes <laughs> and it's just like, gone oh, forever? Shit. Oh shit, we have to build this thing now. <laughs> right it's it's such a it's such a cluster man like it's gonna fall it's gonna fail under its own weight i used to be like get pretty like mad about it mad about like the waste and the all of like like one if there's any all aspiring right. journalists out i there, still like, get mad about it the opportunity cost is so high it's like why why are you focused on this but then it's like all right maybe some good ideas are coming out like from a ux ui perspective but like is it really worth that opportunity cost i don't know it's not. I don't think it is. But but I'm, I've I've come to terms with it because I think it's just it's collapsing under its own weight. Um, one of the uh, what was I going to say? Um, one of the really interesting things. I don't know if you read. Uh, Nick Carter had a great post like last week or the week before about like the the fee cycle and price, where it was like usage goes up, price goes up, fees go up, that kills usage. usage goes like down. there's this yeah usage goes down. There's like you know, there's this, 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 this cycle to it. And so like the interesting thing about what Ethereum chose to do is they didn't listen to any of the gray beards in Bitcoin that told them that all of this was a bad idea. They decided to build exchanges directly on the blockchain. They decided to have, you know, contract accounts. They decided to have all of this stuff that everybody told them, everybody told Vitalik was a bad idea. And now like, you know, there's a ceiling on how big Ethereum can get. Like they, they finally built something in Uniswap that people like, right? Like there's no denying it, right? Like people, people like trading through Uniswap. They like the DeFi stuff. There's, there's some five figures, six figures of users who are trading on this thing with like some real money, but it's crippling the platform, right? Like it, it doesn't scale. It's priced out all of the world computer stuff right now. It's just like an exchange. It's a, it's a casino. Well, that's one of my big questions is like how much, of that is actual usage 
versus whales just putting capital and, oh. and having bots trade against each other like that's uh, yeah i mean like it's not helping like you know forget remember the remember the banking the unbanked and like bitcoiners don't care about you know the little guy and the, the person in bangladesh who like you know wants to be able to send a transaction no it, it's a it's a casino for whales it's it's monaco on the internet right monte carlo right? wherever people gamble vegas i think that's um, that's the thing I have to stop getting angry at. It's just getting angry at these people virtue signaling like they're building something. Yeah. It's helping the world and it's really just helping entrenched insiders. Yeah. <sighs> this 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 latest DeFi one was like particularly gross. Um and Hardest. one of the so one of one of my one of my favorite my absolute favorite things that came out of it though was like one of the main Ethereum influencers, the guy who ran like Eric Connor, who ran like whatever blog, right? He like deleted his Twitter, or he didn't. Let me see when when his last thing was. Um, he deleted. He, he, he left I've... Twitter in August. His very last tweet, it's still up. I'm looking at it right now. His very last tweet, August fifteenth, is "Don't forget to sell the top." Oh my gosh! He was like one of the biggest influencers throughout the entire bull market. He was like, you know the heart and soul of the Ethereum people. And it's his last message to his followers is dump on retail. Wow. I didn't even like, I, I don't know if I blocked or muted that dude. I haven't seen him in quite a while. That was his last message. I didn't even realize he was gone. He, he, he took an indefinite leave after like, he probably got paid under the table to promote a bunch of DeFi products and yield farming stuff. I'm sure. And I'm slandering him right now, but I, I think I'm probably right. Um, and his very last tweet, don't forget to sell the top. If that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about Ethereum and the DeFi ecosystem, like, I don't know what to tell you. Like that's, that, that to me is like, okay, well, you know, this will inevitably fail at some point and I don't really need to worry about it anymore. Yeah. I got a lot of shit. Fuck, fuck. Oh. You know what? We talk about ideas. We don't talk about people here, freaks. We're moving on from talking about people. That person always pissed me off. But the idea of Ethereum's never made sense to me, uh, yeah. especially their 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 extended uh, product roadmap and the, the moving narratives. I think we can have a bit of a cathartic session here on this episode of mm-hmm. Tales from the Crypt of Ryan Gentry. I think the thing that pisses people off is that the yeah, influencers like Eric Connor speak so confidently that ETH is the new money. It's going to take over Bitcoin. And knowing uh, the fundamentals of Bitcoin from a proof of work perspective, from a development perspective, from a second, third layer perspective, it inherently just like pisses people off to to see these, frankly, charlatans speak in this way about something like in my mind it's bitcoin or nothing right yep. like if bitcoin Absolutely. fails mm-hmm. everything goes with it right Absolutely. like if you were if you were and i've said this many like i haven't said this on it's probably been over a hundred episodes since i've said this on this podcast it's bitcoin or nothing like if something overtakes bitcoin how could you ever have confidence that that thing that overtook bitcoin would not get overtaken by something else like you just start a vicious yep. cycle of yep. the inability to have any confidence in that system. Like it doesn't yep. make any sense. It doesn't make, yeah. Uh, I forget exactly the words that he used, but Giacomo, when he was on um, Peter McCormick, 
whenever, you know, a couple weeks ago, it was like the highlight where he was like, you know, this is our only chance for sound money. Like this is, this is it. We can't screw it up. Right. Like it has to work. Um, I think that that's, I, I think that's exactly correct. And I think the thing with I like the, the, the ETH marketers, they make me really mad too. But you know, what's, what's really interesting um, now that, you know, their thing has devolved into a casino, like all of the, you know, all of the, the Bitcoiners told them it would for forever. Now that, you know, their thing isn't scaling, like all the Bitcoiners told them forever. Now that one like really interesting dagger in the heart of proof of stake that, you know, nobody really talks about anymore, but like, I can tell you when it started happening, cause I was working in multi-coin at the time and the crypto thought leader ecosystem was like, oh shit, we didn't think about this was, and I know Matt O'Dell's been all over it, was exchanges staking exchanges yeah right it's like, it's like boom your, your thing's captured already you get a higher <laughs> like, interest rate at the exchange done yeah like, done yeah. like they're reapplicating done like your, your your whole consensus mechanism is screwed by the casino operators like you're done it's over with right uh so like, like that was a big deal um i hope and... it was matt that incepted that idea in the vc world too that would be beautiful <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I can give him credit, but, but I, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's just, it's yeah, like that started happening. Uh, and it was like very obvious. And now, um, the, the last bastion that they have, right. The last thing that they can throw at Bitcoin is, um, that the fee market is not going to develop. The 21 million is not going to laugh that we're going to have to inflate. Uh, and I was looking at the blocks today. And there were like five blocks in a row with over two, yeah, like the last block, 2.21 Bitcoin in feed. Shout out to mempool.space, phenomenal block explorer. That's um, 30% of the reward, right? That's 30% of the reward. You know, like yeah. I think for, uh, I did like some back of the napkin math a while ago, like for like a healthy velocity of money um, with 21 million diluted, like the, the right number that you would want is about like four Bitcoin in fees per block right like you know we can do the math offline probably wouldn't do a very good job of it right now we're already halfway there <laughs> and it's like it's it's 2020 <laughs> we still got like 100 years left right and we're going back to the bell curve here like just the caveman to me is like uh if this ever becomes even a modicum of successful i don't even know if that's a good description i don't even know if that makes sense but if it becomes like a a fraction of what we think it will be like the activity that will go on on the network, like you need to pay fees to get your transactions. And like, it's, it's, we are so, so early. Obvious. We're so like early. Thinking, like thinking about how many people are using Bitcoin right now and then trying to extrapolate that out to the future. If you assume that more people are going to come to the conclusions that we did and therefore use Bitcoin, like the activity yep. is going to increase and therefore the fee market is. Like you are an idiot if you don't see that. I'm sorry. I have a lot of friends who, who poo-poo the potential development of the fee market but just like the caveman to me is like look to where the puck's going like if the yep. shit like ever takes off like it's not even a question like, not even a question absolutely and that's that's what's like so that that i think i don't know we'll see i think the best thing that could happen um would be e2 crashes and burns there's some like black swan in DeFi, and it just collapses honestly i don't think that's going to happen i think we're going to be the way I like to think about Ethereum, um, so I'll give you I'll give you two analogies. The first is like silly and local. Um, 
I don't know if you're familiar with the relationship between the University of Texas and Texas A&M, um, but the University of Texas was first, it's the biggest, it's the flagship university of the, of the biggest, you know, I'll just go out and say it, the best state in the union. Are we about to shit on Hokies right now? Uh, no, then the, uh, and the, the, the farmers of the Aggies of Texas A&M. The Aggies, the Aggies, not yeah, the Hokies. Yeah, the Hokies, I think, is Virginia Tech. That's what it is. Um, yeah, you're so talking the Aggies, to a northerner right now. Yeah, the Aggies, the Aggies are just, they were second, they're smaller, like they're an agricultural mechanical school, like they have a place, right? Like, like they, 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 they fit their role very well for a very long time, which is like, you know, a, a, an agricultural mechanical university, whereas University of Texas was like the prominent state, um, you know, liberal arts university. They're, they're different roles. They, they should, they should not compete, but it just drives AM crazy and all AM fans crazy that they're second tier they just cannot accept it right and so like this is there's a, a large amount of arrogance here like I'm, i know i have family that are AM fans um I, I i like them they're nice people but like i like on, them you don't love your family i i, I, I love my family uh they're in-laws so like you know eh. <laughs> um uh uh but uh I was going to say something, funny. but I'm sitting in my father-in-law's bedroom right now. <laughs> yeah, probably a bad idea. Um, but uh, but it's like they're they're second tier, right? The, they're 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 not the flagship. They will never be the flagship, um, and it just drives them nuts. And I see so many parallels between Bitcoin and Ethereum, where it's like, you know, we shouldn't take them seriously. They will they will always be the the second cryptocurrency that that got traction, right? They will always be. Second, they're probably not going away, honestly. Um, but uh, they just—it drives us crazy because they can't accept the fact that it's like no, like on it. Like I think I think the meme, the the saying that we should start or that the people the Bitcoiners should adopt is um, Ethereum is a it's an attractive side chain. You know, like it'll never be money, but like they built they built a nice little casino thing over here, and like it's a, it's a it's a good side chain for Bitcoin. Right. It's not great. It's not, you know, the ideal that we dreamed up, but like people like it. They just shove it to the side. It's, it's never going to be money. You know, people can use it if they want. We prefer it if you didn't. But, you know, that's that. Uh, I like that. I can get behind that. I think that that's that's like that's like taking the higher road. Now, whenever they inevitably do, this is like the hilarious thing, right? It's like in Texas, there are always they're just like. Just lists and lists and, and hours of Aggie jokes where it's just like, you know, it's kind of like, like blonde jokes, but for Aggies where they just do, I know, sorry. <laughs> blonde. All right. <laughs> um, where, where there's just like endless jokes about, oh, well, you know, the Aggie did this. Um, and I think that's, that's like, we will always dunk on Ethereans when they do stupid stuff. But at the end of the day, like it's, it's never going to be money. It's not competitive. The platform is already captured. It's like an interesting side chain that they kind of built into a casino, which is ill-advised, but you know, whatever. Yeah. You have a mental opportunity cost where you have to realize when you're wasting mental bandwidth on that, it's really not a competitor at all. No. Again, going back to the order operations that we described earlier. Yep. And the they one thing up they... the very first one, right? They're trying to, they're trying to get rid of their miners. Like that's, that's, that's the first step and they already blew it. Yes, completely agreed. But then they'll 
I don't want to focus on Ethereum, but I want to use Ethereum's, Ethereum's uh, argument to transition to the Lightning Network, which is like, oh, we're doing all this better. Mm-hmm. Like you can use Ethereum uh, as a, a transactional currency, much better than Bitcoin at this point, which is arguable to begin. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. and people are like, oh, look at all the Bitcoin locked on Ethereum, which is uh, disingenuous. Yep. At best, and a complete fucking lie at most, because all that Bitcoin's on a fucking multi-sig wallet on the Bitcoin blockchain. There's zero Bitcoin on Ethereum. Um, and they like to use Lightning as the the punching bag. Like, oh, look, this is your second layer solution. Look where it is now. So speaking with you particularly, I think you are a very... Uh, good person to speak with this topic specifically like what is the state of lightning right now uh we are here talking because lightning labs the company you work for uh works on lnd the most popular lightning network protocol which is making its uh second major release uh next week the day that this podcast will be released or the day after um, the protocol is released. This podcast will be dropped. What is the state of lightning? Why are you bullish on it? What can we look forward to in the future? So the comparisons are stupid. It's like comparison. It's like the comparing, you know, um, the gallons in a fish tank with, I don't know, something that's not a fish tank. Um, it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's not a good comparison. It's, 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 the 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 coins that are locked in ethereum are there you know the honestly the, the best comparison is the bitcoins in coinbase like again ethereum is a side chain right uh the miners the database that is ethereum compared to the database that's coinbase like that's what they built their side chain into into a casino like coinbase has a million bitcoin right that's what Ethereum is competing against, and they're failing miserably. And it's 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 not interesting. Lightning is much 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 different, right? Lightning should be compared to Raiden, right? How's Raiden doing, right? The payment channels exist? and state channels does it exist? I don't know. They raised thirty million dollars. You would think that you know. I think that that's. I think like the entire Lightning ecosystem. When I looked, when I was writing my my paper in like March. The entire lighting ecosystem, I think, had raised around like $45 million. So like Raiden raised, you know, two thirds of that. What happened to all that money? Right? Where'd it go? Well, like, could they even build a lightning like network considering that Bitcoin works on a UTXO set and Ethereum's on a state? Um, what is it? A state? Yeah. You have a state, the account, the account, account system. Yeah. No, I mean, like, I, it would be it would be harder. It doesn't matter. It, the point is, it didn't work. Um, they weren't able to do it. They built something else uh, instead. I like quit Multicoin, and you know, had been begging Elizabeth Stark for a job for months um, because I saw the potential for Lightning, and it is just enormous. It's going to take some time to get there, right? Because the key thing is, this is actually a decentralized peer-to-peer network right Right. decentralized peer-to-peer stuff goes slow because everybody has to upgrade right 
everybody, we can't force people to upgrade. We can't force people to build up um, new limits. We can't, um, you know, force people to put their own money into the protocol. We can't print new tokens to incentivize people to spin up nodes, right? Like this is actually a real decentralized peer-to-peer network. And the important thing about that to recognize is that it will be slow. It will be resilient. It will be around. And most importantly, there's actually a network effect at play here. The more nodes that get online, the Lightning Network, the more people that download wallets, the more valuable the network gets, just like any other transportation network in history. And so I'm like writing, working on a, on a blog right now that's talking about how Lightning is, is a transportation network for Satoshis, just like how railways were transportation networks for you know, pork and butter. Um, car highways or transportation networks for cars, airways or transportation networks for planes, you know, fiber networks or transportation networks for data, um, you know, power lines for transportation networks for electricity. All of those things, once they got started, they didn't go away, right? Like, like transportation networks have the most dominant, uh, and how like you know the social graph. Is a transportation network for attention that one's like a little bit more i gotta do some work on that one but like once those things get started they don't go away right like people don't give up on them they get more useful to figure out more ways to travel um to transfer more goods across these networks um it's 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 an actual real network effect like there, there is no network effect in DeFi. Because like we've we've seen already empirically, like people just yank their coins out of the you know out of the automated market maker or whatever, right? Like once the yield drops, they just take it away. Yeah, they just force the protocol and create a whole new one. It doesn't even absolutely. And so, like this is you know in at the Series A raise that um, Lightning Labs did, Elizabeth uh, wrote a a blog about how this was the decade of Lightning, right? Like the next. Think about that, like the next 10 years. Think about where Bitcoin was 10 years ago. Think about where it is today. And I think I think in talking about the, the layers and the order of operations, think about where mining was 10 years ago and think about where it is today. Could anybody mining at their home in 2010 think that, you know, whatever, Chase Lockmiller would be talking to Chevron or Exxon, I forget which one, like major oil conglomerate about Ecuador. natural gas? In Equinor, yeah, right. Like, oh my God, um, massive, massive. Like, this is one of those things where it's like people probably would have been disappointed in two years by the the progress, but just been astounded by ten. So we're in the same thing in Lightning, right? Like, I think you know, paper was written in 2015. Nobody could really get started building it until post Segwit at the end of. 2017, like mainnet was launched only really at the start of 2018, right? I think like that was the first, the first mainnet transaction was like January or February, 2018. Um, so it's only been, you know, two years, two and a half years since it really happened. And so like, where was mining two and a half years after it started? Like probably I think in like the GPU era, ASICs hadn't been introduced yet. And maybe yes. like, if the GPU era. Like, yeah, like maybe the, maybe if the GPU era. Little known fact, the first Bitcoin miner to GPU mine was Laszlo. The <laughs> dude who bought, uh, is more famous for buying uh, two pizzas for 10,000 Bitcoin. 
but he was the first GPU miner as well. I'm pretty sure. That's one of my. Was that's it? one of my favorite. Like every time, yeah, yeah. He he invented. And he GPU wrote. Mining. And he wrote the first uh, Mac implementation of Bitcoin Core. Like. Uh, yeah. That's that's what like whenever Pizza Day comes around and people are like, oh man, can you imagine being that guy? I love the comments. They're like, dude, he invented GPU mining. He is fine. <laughs> <laughs> right. He is fine. So like, so, so if you think about it, I, I think, I think it's really important to talk about this in that same sort of context and like, you know, order of operations, we saw how mining progressed, right? I think lightning will progress faster than mining did because it's not dealing as much with the physical real world. Um, and it's building on top of like a very strong network effect already, which may give it like a more of a booster. Mm -hmm. Again, cave enemy coming yeah. out with like intuition, nope. like yeah. Yep. And, and and like Bitcoin is much further along. It's all software, all that sort of stuff. But still, it's a decentralized peer-to-peer -peer network, right? Like those those take time to get going, but once they get going, like they don't go away, right? And so I think the the better question about like is Lightning progressing, like why is it taking so long? The better question is like how big can this actually get, right? If we think about ten, you know, ten years from now. How big can this actually get? How many nodes can we get on the network? How much volume and what type of volume is flowing through this? Well, that's why I was so excited in Dallas when I finally realized who I was talking to. When I was talking to you, I was like, oh, fuck, you're Ryan Gentry, the dude. Because I believe the first time I wrote about some of your content in the bent was your thread at Multicoin about like the potential of the Lightning Network particularly around like uh, LNURL auth and LSAT. Yeah, and the Web3 stuff. Uh -huh. The yeah. Web3 stuff, yes. And I was like, oh, like, because you, thank you for articulating like a vision to strive for in this stuff. And it really is like people get caught up in the nitty gritty of, oh, I, yep. I, can, only, I can only create channels with 16 million sets. Yeah. It's not the I case know. anymore, yeah. people, but like people, everybody yeah, focus people, on people. what's going on at the given point in time and don't try to see what you can do in the future once this is flushed out. And you did a very good job of doing that in that particular piece that you wrote in that thread. Um, yeah. Explaining well, the potential yeah. of the Lightning Network. I, I, I have, again, I have like kind of a, a unique perspective on this because, you know, I came to crypto and to Bitcoin looking for a network like a communications network where machines could pay each other. Right. And so like, that was what I was looking for this whole time. And like, I think lightning is it, um, for a whole variety of reasons, but we were talking about like, you know, what's the state of the network today? What am I bullish on? So, um, the number one problem in the lightning network so far has been, well, it's, it's really two problems in one. Um, but it's been the inbound liquidity problem, right? Um, so you have a node, you stand it up, you put some Bitcoin in some channels, you can't receive any payments until somebody opens a channel your direction and provides you inbound liquidity, right? That's like, everybody knows, well, most people that pay attention to Lightning know that like, that's a very thorny problem. Um, it depends on a lot of altruism. You know, people have gone out and like, been posting on Twitter, there's Telegram groups, kind of all this different stuff, looking for ways to get inbound liquidity their direction. So, um, the brilliant people at Lightning Labs that I am just amazingly fortunate to be able to work with um, have built Lightning Pool, uh, our, our new product to solve exactly that. And I mean, we could shit, Marty. We could we could 
you know, record a whole another hour and a half podcast just talking about this because I think it's so cool. I got time. I right. have time. All right. Um, but what Lightning does, what Lightning Pool does, is it solves the inbound liquidity problem. Like, you know, this is probably a bold statement, but I think it's it's done. Like, it, it's not a problem anymore. Um, and and the way it does that is through just a. I mean, again, I'm so privileged to be able to work with these people every day um, because. It's all this in a true to Bitcoin way that I think is very rare and very special um, because what it did is it, it solved it with free market mechanics and it solved it without requiring custody from any participants. And so the way that it did this is, you know, if you have a node right now, um, you know, the normal process previously would have been you set up a node, um, you fund the wallet with some Bitcoin, you then open up some channels with that Bitcoin to, you know, popular destinations. Um, and you hope somebody responds back. What you'll do instead, now that you have pool, is you'll spin up a node, you'll fund the wallet with some Bitcoin, and you will deposit some of that Bitcoin into an account in Lightning Pool. And so what this account is, this is, I think, just so brilliant, is just a two of two multi-sig um, with Lightning Labs, right? So we don't take custody of your coins. We have, you know, collaborative custody in the unchained manner of talking about it, where we we share custody of your coins, but we can't move them without your without your permission. So it's kind of like the Blockstream Green Wallet, um, if you're mm -hmm. familiar with with that, right? Yeah. It, it's just it's just like that. Um, and so what we can do with those coins is um, we are running a marketplace, uh, an auction every block off chain, where anybody who has an account in Lightning Pool can put up an ask, uh, can put up an order and say, in order to open a channel and provide you inbound liquidity, pay me, you know, 25 bips up front, which, you know, is, is something like, you know, 3% annualized or something like that, right? Like a, like a small amount of sats um, for a certain amount of capacity, right? Pay me up front and I'll open a channel to you. And so now it's like, oh, so I want inbound liquidity. Like I just need to pay somebody in this marketplace and I get it. And it's just, it's that easy, right? And the beautiful thing about the structure, which is called a shadow chain, which is, I mean, again, we could film, we could, we could do a whole another podcast just on this because I've researched all of the scaling solutions. And trust me when I say all of them. <laughs> uh, and this is, it's it's a phenomenal innovation because it's it's so true to, um, to the Bitcoin ethos while still providing just like amazing scaling benefits. So we have this this off-chain auction that's running on the shadow chain, and because um, you know we are partial owners of all these UTXOs and these accounts, when somebody goes to open a channel and say you know five people want to open channels, you know five new channels want to get open between ten new parties in a given block, we can batch all of those channel opens together into a single transaction, slot it into the blockchain, and only pay you know thirty percent of the fees that the whole transaction would have paid altogether, right? And this is pre-Schnorr, right? Right, once that's what I was going to say. Like, how does this... Once we get Schnorr, that scales to, that. like, 90%, right? Like, yeah. so think about it. We, we, could, we could end up doing, you know, like, uh, you know, a thousand channel opens uh, in a single block for the price of one or the price of, I don't know, five post-Schnorr. Right. It's not going to be that in the early days. Right. We're going to need to bootstrap to kind of that liquidity first off. But like so this is, you know, it's, it's a marketplace for solving the inbound liquidity problem. Um, 
it's non-custodial, um, it's market-driven. Like this is as as true to the Bitcoin ethos in terms of solving Bitcoin problems uh, that I think that you can get as a solution. Um, and I think it's just it's like it's a beautifully elegant thing um, that will you know the most important thing is it solves the problem of the inbound liquidity. But the second most important thing um, is that uh, now this is an extra uh, an extra line of revenue for a routing node operator, right? Like right now, it's it's kind of hard um, to to it's it's the the actually like the analogy, and this is why I love that it's called pool. It's just not dissimilar from joining a mining pool to smooth out the variability of your earnings, right? Like. Um, if you join our kind of, you know, capital pool, liquidity pool, whatever, right? Like you should, for each period that you get paid up front for providing inbound liquidity, you get, you get, you know, this additional line of revenue. And then hopefully you earn fees on top. It's like a speculative bonus. But like today, you know, you may get lucky and route a bunch of payments on like a Monday and then not route any for another couple of weeks, kind of like you may get lucky in the CPU era and mine a block, you know, once every couple of weeks, but then like you go hungry for the rest of the time, right? And so this is like not not dissimilar to that. Um, and then we hope that people will, nodes will join the pool um, and sell their liquidity uh, through our auction mechanism because it smooths out the volatility of their earnings um, and it gets them an easier an easier mechanism to get new inbound. Um, and there's just a, a very natural kind of network effect here where the more people buying and selling channels and pool, um, the cheaper the channel open cost is. Um, and hopefully the more resilient the network as a whole becomes. Okay. And so just me trying to conceptualize this here as somebody trying to provide liquidity, liquidity to the pool, I can put up, let's say Bitcoin. And say, hey, over the next 10 weeks, I want to open up at least a point, or excuse me, Meta, they'll be pissing me. I want to open up a 10 million sat channel once a week with X fee over the next 10 weeks, knowing that I'll get paid out that fee. Like I put up a Bitcoin liquidity and say, I want to, uh, I want consistent yeah, so, so revenue the way, over 10 so, weeks. Yeah, so the way, the way the contracts are structured right now, like in, in this very, in this alpha, is we so the way we're calling it we're calling it as a lightning channel lease because what you're what you're doing technically and i think this is really interesting because this is like again if we're going after the financial industry right like you don't start at equity like um ethereum does right you start at the bottom level of the capital stack right collateral and so i would have i would have thought that we would have started at bonds but we're starting a level below that which is property leases right like your UTXO, your Bitcoin is your property. And so like, you know, I have, you know, I'm a, we have some land up in the panhandle and like we lease it out to the neighbor and it's still our property. Our name is on the deed. We don't give up custody of the property, but we do get paid a little bit for, for leasing it, you know, to our neighbor who uses it for a while. So what you would do is you would open a lightning channel lease. You would, you would sell a lightning channel lease to another, um, to another node and they would, uh, you would have that channel for two weeks for 2016 blocks. That's kind of like the default term right now duration. But the really cool thing about this is like, once we get this first market built up, once I'm on a roll, <laughs> once we get this first market built up, uh, you know, 
we'll, we'll have a duration for two weeks and it'll have an interest rate, right? And then we'll have a duration for four weeks and then we'll have a duration for eight weeks and we'll have all these interest rates for the yield that you will earn in these different durations and we'll get a Bitcoin native risk-free rate of return, like a, re, a yield curve for Bitcoin, which for you financial freaks out there, that's an enormous deal. Something Nick Batia has been been writing about and talking about for a couple of years now, right? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. He was he was he was the forefront of that. And so my question is: It a rolling two week to four week to six week duration, or do you guys settle at a difficulty adjustment? Or do yeah, you just pick. No, you just pick the two thousand. Like you know, this is a, this is again an alpha, right? So like we'll see uh, how people use it and and what kind of people demand. Um, I think that like right now, it's just when your batch gets settled, it's two weeks from there, uh, from that block. And, and then you can close the channel. Um, uh, I think that there will be demand for wanting to roll contracts. Um, specifically, if you get like a good peer where you get a lot of velocity through your channel, right? Because like the, the game to make money in Lightning, the game is you want to turn over your channel as fast as possible. You want that velocity in your channel to be um, to be turned suck, over as quickly. Suck the sats to one side of the channel, get the fees for that, close, reopen, boom. Not even, but Rinse. you know, and just to show our other product, instead of instead of closing the channel, you loop it out, right? Yeah, you do out. a submarine swap, you you loop it out, um, and uh, uh, you keep that channel open because because the, the thing about the lease, right, is the channel is it's open for two weeks. So like, ideally, you know, you would be able to loop out that balance like four times, five times before that lease. Yeah, you, you don't want those sats stagnant on one side of the channel. Exactly. Yeah. You want, you want velocity yeah. going the whole time. Right. Which is, which is, I think mm-hmm. is really interesting. And we'll see, you know, like we've been again, thinking about order of operations, we've been in kind of like the CPU era thus far. It's been, you know, there've been like real businesses, fold, strike, divity, you know, um, bit fatal. Yep. Absolutely. Bit refill. Um, there's, there's been, you know, there, there's a, there's a number of really, really great entrepreneurs and startups on, on lightning already, but a lot of the routing node operators have been, you know, hobbyists, right? People with a raspberry, like, you know, my node is a raspberry Pi right there. <laughs> um, right. Like, like there, yeah. Right. Like there's a lot of those we've been kind of in the CPU era. Uh, but I think here with, with this additional incentive, this additional, um, revenue mechanism, we're going to start seeing it professionalize a little bit and start seeing people actually look at this as like, instead of a cool thing that they're doing because they like the network and they want to support it and they're Bitcoiners. Now it's something where it's like, oh man, I could actually make some money on this, right? Like I could make a couple percent annualized, you know, and if I'm really good at it, maybe something like 10% um, on my Bitcoin, like risk-free, right? Like I don't ever lose custody. Um, and if you do it correctly, you don't even have to have, you know, any keys hot. You can just use PSBTs. Oh, let's jump into that. Cause that's what, that was my question. Like what, it, what would the risk-free stack include a watchtower? I would imagine, mm-hmm. um, yeah. where do PSBTs come to that? Cause that's, PSBTs. That's, that's like the one major knock against lightning up to this point is that you need, uh, you need to be, you need a hot wallet at all times, essentially. Yep. yep. And so I think this is still, this is, that risk still exists. Um, it, you, you know, even if you fund your channels with 
PSBTs, right? Like you still do have, it may not be your master public or your master private key that's exposed. Um, it'll be, you know, the derivative, the, the partially signed key instead, um, the top. And I think we are, we have a path to making that as cold as possible um, to where something like, uh, you know, a one-time key um, that's used per transaction. I don't want to speak for the engineers on that, but I will say that like, in my opinion, you're not, well, it's a fact that you're not taking counterparty risk. You're not taking any Oracle risk. You're not taking custodial risk. Um, I think the only risk that you're taking is hot wallet risk. And that is being as ruthlessly, ruthlessly minimized as it possibly can. Right. And so we're going to get, you know, like the risk-free rate in traditional finance is the risk that the U S government doesn't default on this debt. Right. And like, that's risk-free, but as Bitcoiners, we to know that, that risk is non-zero, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think we're going to deal with a similar thing here, where it's like, instead of depending on, well, the interesting, actually, you could just come out of this. The interesting parallel is instead of um, the risk being a sovereign default, um, you know, in, in terms of the, the federal government defaulting on their, on their debts, it's going to be the risk default. is like, a self-sovereign default like do you fuck up did does, does your opsec get compromised um does your key get get stolen um it's, it's all under your control right um and which is a lot for an individual but yeah but it's containerized to one channel not yep. the whole network which is yep. considerable which, is, mm -hmm. which is which makes which makes this just massively resilient right yeah holy shit um, yeah, it's a it's a big deal. Like I think I think yeah. this is, I think this is a really 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 big deal for the network um, as a whole, and I think it will be something that you know, it's one of these it's one of these virtuous cycles where you know, it'll probably start off a little slow. You know, like we're launching it's just, it's just a command line tool right now, um, right? But but you know, eventually soon, you'll see you know a UI. Soon you'll see it pop up in your MindNode dashboard and, and Thunderhub um, and RTL and all of these great um, UIs and, and, and people, you know, these entrepreneurs will figure out ways to display it attractively to people. Um, and that'll bring kind of more people into the pool, which will bring more capacity to the network, make it more resilient, um, make, make there be more paths for payments to succeed. And once more payments start succeeding and there's like, you know, more nodes and more capacity that will just naturally bring in more volume, especially, you know, thank God fees are going up. Um, that's like the biggest tailwind behind us for sure. It's forcing the hand, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's like, you know, this is the scaling solution. This is, this is how you avoid those fees is getting on lightning. And like, this is coming at just the perfect time, uh, in my opinion, to give, you know, exchanges, to give ATM companies, anybody that's moving Bitcoin around on a daily basis, like they should be calling me and, and banging down, you know, my door to get on the lightning. Um, and this is the perfect reason why, like, right. Like now you can, here's a, here's a way to make money on lightning. Just sell your channels, right? Like that. that Take your that trading fees, get your trading fees. And you know what, here's a considerable more amount of bips on top of that as well. It's a good Absolutely. selling point. It's not bad. How do you make, not... how do you make people comfortable with this though? All right. It'd be remiss of me not to bring up absolutely the two what major bugs oh, that happened sure. this, 
like that's when it's like, oh, lightning isn't ready. Like it's yeah. too buggy. Like people had to upgrade to version 0.11.0. All, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the bugs that were disclosed over the last week and a half, uh, nobody thinks they were um, exploited, but people hear, oh my God, two, two major bugs that force you to upgrade in a two week period. Like, is this really the future? Like, yeah. how do you, how do you quell fears around that? narratives specifically and and bugs moving forward yeah um one of the so one of one of the projects that i did again bring this back comparison to mining because i think i think like we can learn a lot from the past um one of my one of my projects that i did at at multicoin was i built uh you know this thing called the crypto archives which was a, a repo public repo on my github it was just a list of like just I, I honestly, I don't know how many hundreds of research papers um, that I had read. Most of them, like I kind of like read the abstract and like that was it. Um, but I put them in there and like categorized them as like interesting research papers. The longest section is um, attacks on proof of work, right? Is is vulnerabilities and all of these things that have been disclosed and, and been discussed about how proof of work was broken and it was never going to work and yada, yada, yada. And like, you know, people love to hate on the big thing. Um, vulnerabilities are, are never uh, are never something we're happy with. But this is beta software, right? It's it's being worked on. It's being iterated on. It's improving. Um, the last two vulnerabilities were, you know, not exploited, um, and were fairly obscure, right? Like the CV a year ago that was the spec issue. Um, that was like a really severe bug, right? Like that was, that was not good at all. These most recent ones, um, were, you know, if you look at them, like they, they were both very, very obscure bugs. And one of them was like a very obscure implementation and setup. Um, not to say that that's okay, but you know, I think it's something that Lightning Labs team is taking very seriously and is always taken seriously as a culture. Um, and you know, it's, it's it's experimental software. I think you need to protect yourself, but it's definitely ready, right? Like there are, there are businesses depending on this for their livelihood today on L and D. Um, absolutely. I got my hand up. I, I use, I use L and D every day. Legitimately. Like I receive, I receive payments via lightning, via the L and D protocol literally every day. Yep. Um, uh, it, it works. I, I'm not I, saying I, my, my, I'm not like a bit refill, but I get sats every day via L and D, and I brought up these vulnerabilities because, again, it'd be remiss of me not to because I, I I agree with you. I think it's just par for the course of building out this mm-hmm. uh, protocol, and then on top of that, you have the individual who's pointing this out, Antoine Riard who is one of the greatest minds thinking about these problems that I've encountered personally and encountering him and him being so upfront with the, uh, the, the hurdles that face lightning in the future, but also being extremely bullish and optimistic about it gives me a, a sense of confidence that this is actually a good thing that we're finding this stuff, patching it, and moving forward from there. 
Yep. I mean, like that, that's, that, that's a great way of putting it. And I think, um, you know, one of the things, you know, as a business development professional, um, you know, I want people to come to lightning because they have a business reason why, right? Like, because they, you know, because fees are going up or whatever. And they're like, look, we're willing to take the lumps with you uh, on beta software. Like I, I have to have your protocol. You, you have, you know, something that I just can't get anywhere and I, and I need to have, right? Like those are the people that like, you know, where I'm, I personally am, am really, really excited to work with. Um, if it's, if, if, if bugs like this, you know, scare you off and, and it's rational and reasonable too, um, because we're dealing with your money, with your Bitcoin, right? Like I, I understand that. And, um, you know, it's still early days. You'll be on Lightning eventually. I have, I have no doubt, um, right? Uh, if you, if you want to take a, a couple months or, or whatever and let it, let it get more solidified, that's fine, right? Like I want the people right now. I'm really interested in the people that like, they, their hair is on fire, right? And they have to have what, what, we, what we're building. Yes, and I will say, um, putting my neck out there right now, our neck here at TFTC out there. We were what I would consider lazy users. It took us quite a while to update our node after the uh, the vulnerabilities became public. So if you're an attacker out there, just look for our node and try to attack it. We have a bounty on the on the Lightning Network out there. Uh, come for our sets. Like it, and it's not like it's pure laziness. Not laziness. Incompetence. Probably incompetence on my part. Like, I can't do it myself. I need to tap DJ and he's a very busy man. I'm like, oh, dude, should we update our note? He's like, yes, we should update it like a couple weeks ago. I was like, all right. Luckily, nobody exploited us. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, uh, we're very lucky. We're very fortunate to have, um, you know, the engineers on, on Lightning Lab staff, of course, you know, Connor and Eugene, who, who do a lot of thinking about security, are, are excellent. Um, you know, people in the community, like, like Antoine Riard, like Yoast, um, who's, who's been doing a lot of security focused stuff, right? Like you're absolutely right that it's, it's, we're very lucky to have such adversarial thinkers making sure that we fix this stuff at this stage. Um, because, you know, we, you know, it, it's part of the Bitcoin ethos to be first principles thinking, to be, uh, you know, honest, uh, to, to not try and cover things up, you know, if they're not serious. Uh, and so, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, uh, you know, I'm glad that these are coming out now. I know that, you know, this quarter, one of the things that we're trying to do is, is to post a bug bounty, um, program, um, to, to, you know, incentivize more people to, to take a deeper look at, at our protocol and our implementation. Um, just, yeah. Just put the TFTC note up. Yeah. For one. Just like attack <laughs> this thing. They're lazy as fuck. <laughs> I know that. Yeah, that'll that'll I'll, I'll pass that on in, our, in key base right now. Um, oh, like that. I just heard a, an AirPod. It's still going, but Bing. yeah. If you um, go out, you, I think you'll be fine. Okay. Um, yeah, but so so let's see. So other things I'm I'm really bullish on lighting for. Um, so we got we got pool out. I think pool is going to be a, just an enormous deal, right? Um, I think I think um, the the other really cool thing about pool that I think is interesting, like lightning aside is the shadow chain structure. Um, you know, like, um, enormous respect for, for Blockstream and all that they've done, uh, and, and, and all that they're doing. 
I think that this is a better version of a sidechain. Um, I think that this, because the really cool thing that we figured out, or that I didn't figure this out, but, but the team figured out is that we can actually do multiple batches um, of, of, of clearing channel opens. We can safely do multiple batches in between blocks. So like, you know, How does that yeah, work? right. So the, if, if you're familiar with, um, with Grin and with Mimblewimble, you know how they do the like transaction cut through thing. Does that ring a bell at all? Vaguely. Vaguely. So it's like, you know, because cause we know on our side, um, you know, these accounts have these balances. And so if an order gets processed and it says, you know, Alice paid Bob X amount and Bob is going to open Y amount of a channel, like we can take that out of our database and say, okay, they no longer have this amount of money to play with. But before it settles back to the chain, because we know the balances everybody had, Alice could buy another channel from somebody else. And we can say, well, her account still has enough in it to be able to buy this channel. And Carol has enough in her account as well to be able to buy this channel. So like we can do that batch as well. Right. So, you know, the limits are gonna... this. Can you prove this by the sum of the cryptographic function or something like something like that? Yeah, so I'm like, I mean, I don't, I don't even think it's that, I don't even think it's that complicated, right? It's just like, from our perspective, it's just account balances, right? Um, and then like everything else is abstracted. Uh, and, and like, you know, nobody's able to double spend, oh. right? So, is, but do you get to centrally uh, store those account balances? Well, because it's all on chain. So this is the other like really cool thing about this that like does, brings in yeah. some trustlessness. There's it's all in like this client side validation paradigm, right? So like you make an order, you send it to us. We check our database and say, oh, yep, like that checks out. You have enough money in your account to be able to buy this. Bob has enough money in his account to be able to create this channel. This all checks out. But before we actually execute the transaction, we send it back to you and say, hey, does this look good? You okay with this? Can you verify on, on your nodes that this works for you? And you have a chance to say yes or no. And so if we ever lie, if we ever say it doesn't work, if we ever you know try and do something Byzantine, the, you, this is the beautiful thing about the security model. The default is you just say, nope, I'm good. I'm just gonna sit here and wait. And you're not going to be able to have access to any of my money, and that's it. I'm going to wait, and I'm going to just going to take it back at the end of the period. So I imagine the mempool comes into play here. Like, do you have to scour the mempool to try mm -hmm. to? Because it's it's know? like it's it's like a private mempool kind of between. Okay. Um, it, it's it's in in the shadow chain, right? There's like a shadow pool. <laughs> that's it's not a term. Um, we don't use that. But it's like the the transaction actually gets sent only to our server to lightning labs is to the to the pool server so is the pool server coordinating signatures and you yeah. can mm -hmm. okay mm -hmm. all right exactly and that makes yep. sense okay um and so it's uh yeah so it's like you know it's a it's a sealed bid auction so there's not going to be like okay. a public order book um but you send in your bid we then match people up and we say hey like okay alice and bob like you two are going to make a channel together figure it out that makes a lot of sense because you could decide, all right, I didn't put this transaction up to sign. Like, I'm not going to yep. sign it. You have to sign exactly. it at the end of the day. Okay. Exactly. That makes sense. All right. Yeah. 
Um, wow. and so this, That's this, crazy. this, it's, it's, it's amazing, dude. It's, 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 it's really, really cool. I'm, I'm really excited about it. Cause like, you know, for, if there are any people, any, if sympathetic people listening, um, what this kind of is, is this is like Bitcoin's version of an optimistic rollup. An optimistic oh. rollups are like I wanted, the scaling I solution to, of choice. I wanted to talk, well, is it ZK rollups or optimistic rollups? Because well, you, so, you are uh, immersed in a big bet with Eric Wall. And I believe I this am. technology oh. is uh, very integral to that bet. It is, absolutely. This is This was my, this was one of two um, cards I had up my sleeve when I made that bet. Um, so I think that this is because for the, for the, uh, curious listener, um, the bet is that by March, whatever, I don't know, 20th or something like that, um, that there will be 10% of, um, the lightning network total capacity, public capacity will be greater than 10% of the total value locked in ETH layer twos. Um, and so that includes optimistic rollups, CK rollups, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so, uh, I think it is this one. Um, so what I think is gonna happen here, my bet was basically that layer two is really hard. Um, it takes a lot of work to like actually do it correctly. I think that they're the Ethereans are doing the classic thing that they always do, which is overpromise and underdeliver. Um, specifically, when it comes to like shipping critical software, protocol software that like has to be correct. Um, and so, I think that that's going to take a lot longer than they expected to. I could be wrong about that, um, but but my bet is that I'm not. Um, and uh, specifically, it's really interesting with optimistic rollups. Um, they don't really scale as well as advertised like like maximum what you can do is like 2000 transactions per second but that's assuming that like you take up the whole ethereum block let's back up one second and try okay. to discern between optimistic rollups and zk rollups the way i understand yeah. optimistic rollups different trust model where a quasi validator needs to step into um, uh, approve something ZK rollups, zero knowledge rollups uses math to make it happen automatically. Correct. Yeah. Um, and, and really what the difference comes down to is, um, the exit game. So like, and this is, this is, I think a very subtle, but very beautiful distinction between what we're doing with shadow chains and just Ethereum in general, because what you're doing when you deposit coins into an optimistic rollup or ZK rollup, you're giving up custody of your coins to a smart contract, right? And the smart contract in this specific case is just a server somewhere. Like it's a single like optimism or ZK sync or whoever, like it's just one company, right? The whole, all of the complexity is what happens if that company disappears, that server disappears and I want to get my coins back. How do you prove to the miners that they're still your coins? So this is like fraud proofs and optimistic roll up. It's like, you know, yeah, you need to wait uh, like a, uh, a withdrawal period of like two weeks or something like that before you can withdraw just in case like somebody lies and tries to withdraw your coins. You need to have two weeks to be able to produce a fraud proof. Yeah, it sounds like Green Wallet. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and well, I don't think Green Wallet requires a fraud proof. It's just like it, no, there's a time lock. Similar. So, yeah, exactly. 
Similar. Yeah, because 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 so so um, with zk rollups because like you don't have that withdrawal period, but of course there is like a trusted setup and things like that. So that's really the difference is in the exit game. But the only reason you need the exit games is because you're giving up custody of your coins, right? With shadow chains, you don't give custody of your coins. You keep it the whole time, right? It's in like the green wallet thing. So we don't need any of that complexity, which is just amazing. Right. Like that's that's a beautiful, beautiful thing that, um, you know, you just like the default is, let's say the, the worst possible scenario happens. Um, you know, we get hacked, you know, uh, half the miners drop off the network, like something terrible happens. Everything looks horrible. All you have to do is just sit and wait. <laughs> and once your your time lock on your two of two multisig um, ends, you just take your coins back and that's it. That's, that's like the default, the default in the Ethereum world is like your coins get burned forever in the smart contract. The default in the Bitcoin world is you just wait and you take your coins back. In best case scenario, you're just able to keep signing that to keep the channel open. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. Um, so that, so like, so, you know, in, in, in the paper that the white paper that we're releasing alongside the code, which is, I know Elizabeth and Lala are both thrilled that we're, we've launched um, working mainnet software alongside a white paper. Like who does that, right? I thought white papers were just, you know, fever dreams. That's a, that's a big accomplishment. Congrats on that. Um, right. Yeah, I know. Right. Uh, and so, so in, in the white paper and some of like the future directions, it's really what I think is really cool in drawing this parallel is like right now, you know, the worst thing we can do just being upfront about it is like we could censor orders, right? If somebody like, I don't know why we would do this, but if somebody were to send in a channel open order and uh, we could like take that order and say, nope, nobody needs to see this because it's sealed bid, right? It's, it's non-public. Um, so we, we could technically do that. That's like the one attack vector. So, okay. To, so to open these channels, you need to sign part of the transaction to send it to the mempool to be included in a block, which would open the channel here in the shadow chain. Is that a correct? Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, because you don't know, you don't know who is bid on your channel. Like you don't know who you're matched with. We do the matchmaking, which is part of like making sure that the auction is fair. Um, is, is the sealed bid format. Uh, and so what's, what's, what's really cool about this is there's a zero knowledge proof edition to upgrade this, to remove that censorship uh, vulnerability where you send in your order, we store it in like some Merkle tree and send you back a zero knowledge proof. It's like, okay, your order is, you know, here in the tree like a DLC like concept where like the Oracle is just signing something and you just receive that and add it to your transaction or not quite DLC, but like the, I guess a, a similar sort of structure where like we would send you this, this, a this similar group. incentive model where, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. And like, and, and, and similar also in the incentive model where like probably to make this work, we would need to post like a security bond type thing mm -hmm. that then would be like slashed. Right. Um, yeah. But we have a, like 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 using zero knowledge proofs similarly to how Ethereum is using zero knowledge proofs to make their rollups like less more safe. We can also use zero knowledge proofs to make our shadow chains more trustless, um, which is I think like a beautiful symmetry. It's just that ours 
have the amazing amount of simplicity of not requiring fraud proofs because we don't take custody. And so like, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, of course I want all, you know, for selfish reasons, just like all miners want to mine every Bitcoin block. I want all economic activity on Bitcoin to run through, you know, lightning pool, of course. Um, but I fully expect that um, some entrepreneurial people will be able to spin up, you know, decentralized exchanges on their own shadow chain um, uh, or, you know, any number of things that people have always wanted to do on drive chains, on, on side chains, on anything that's not the Bitcoin blockchain. I think they'll be able to do it uh, on shadow chains, which is just like uh, incredibly bullish, I think. Like that's 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 so exciting to me. A shadow chain seems like a black swan event for the Bitcoin space. Like, is anybody even outside of L Lightning Labs talking about this? Like... I don't think so. Like, like seriously, this is one of those things. So, like, I had heard at a very, very high level about Lightning Pool, the marketplace, um, uh, before joining the company. But, like, I got access to the Google Drive on, like, you know, like, you know, Sunday night at midnight or something before my first day. And I was like sitting up waiting for it. Like the very first thing I did was I went and I read um, the the white paper for this. And I was going through and reading about the auction, reading about everything else. And then like I got down to like the description of the shadow chain. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> this is like just massively important. How does nobody know about this? Um, and like that was in, you know, June, right? This has been kept very tightly under under wraps because they wanted to ship the working code before you know releasing the paper. But like I, I you know I hope I'm not overselling it, but I don't think that I am because I, I think I actually do know what I'm talking about here. And like I think that this is just like an enormous enormous deal um, for Bitcoin. This is insane. I'm just trying to freak some a little bit whiskey drunk. Yeah. trying no. to comprehend this, this right is now why, but... this is kind of why i was like we should we should lead with with the infomercial for lightning labs instead of with um... i'm happy we're back ending it because i think <laughs> okay. i think honestly i think the conversation build built build it built perfectly to where we are now because again stack layers order mm -hmm. of operations like how can you even conceive of a shadow chain if you don't understand the the base on which it's being built and the primitives, if you will. Um, I don't disagree. Again, excuse me while I try to digest and comprehend this, but comparing it to alternative, like the so trying to hone in on the essential product differential here. It's the non-custodial nature of that's the being key. able yep right yeah. that's the key that is that is the magical thing here um yeah because and so one one We're, thing like people haven't even been thinking about the concepts of optimistic roll-ups or zk roll-ups like the non-custodial nature has never come it's you've always need a validator for this you've always needed a trusted setup for this and this goes in a completely different direction yep and it's and it's so simple too like right? the only that's why I'm like, how come I've just, never heard of this? I know it's so that's that's like all of you know, multisig baby, Dang. just multisig, just a two of two multisig, and like, and and of course, like this is the other part of this is, um, 
so you for know, the semantist out there, is it technically non-custodial or is it collaborative custodial? Like, yeah, I mean, it's 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 collaborative custody. The, the 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 key thing is is the way that the script is written, and I will you know, the scripts are in the on-chain scripts are in the white paper, so I will let um, the the curious go and, and actually read and validate that there. Um, we cannot move coins under no circumstance can we move coins without your consent. Um, so, you know, in effect, it is non-custodial um, in, you know, semantically, it is collaborative custody and that we're sharing ownership of the UTXO. But we are so worst case, worst case scenario, you just have to wait a little bit. Yep. Yep. And so that it, it's like, it's just this, 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 this beautiful system um, that, that the team designed uh, that I think is, is just immensely powerful. And it's like a, a brand new application framework you know really like so so one thing that's interesting right like I, I wrote the thread the other day about how uh you know vitalik was talking about like the roll-up future of ethereum and i was like okay so now that we're all agreed um the blockchains are for verification not for computation right and the computation should happen off chain right if you imagine ethereum putting all of their you know all of their applications all their dexes and things in these off-chain roll-ups like if all of it is is it's a single server that's doing, you know, some off-chain computation and settling back to the chain. Like literally all of those could be shadow change instead and just use Bitcoin instead of Ethereum. And why won't you use Bitcoin? Because Bitcoin is the best collateral in the, the, in the best cryptocurrency world. Absolutely. It's the most liquid collateral on the planet. Like look at how, you know, one thing that I'm watching, um, we're not there yet, but when it happens, I'm going to be so loud on Twitter about it. You know, WBTC, WBTC is number three on DeFi Pulse. Bitcoin. Why? It's a multi-sig Bitcoin transaction held at Bitco. It doesn't make any fucking sense to me. I know. I don't care. All I care about is the tweet. Uh, oh, no. My AirPod just died. All I care about is the uh, the tweet that um, Bitcoin is the most popular DeFi application. <laughs> We're almost there. It's only got like you know a billion dollars left to go, but it's third. It's only it's about to pass MakerDAO again, um, which has already been well, captured. So, how much of a step function improvement is this? Like, is this something that you believe will entice exchanges to start taking this stuff seriously to entice large economic actors on chain to do this? Uh, yeah, to implement this is it easy enough to implement is it uh understandable for the engineering teams of these exchanges and uh important economic actors on-chain economic actors to implement like is it easy to implement like i do i, I really i really do um you know one of the things I'm, i've been working really hard on you know the goal is to, is to get it shipped by november is kind of like more more kind of enterprise friendly, you know, not like, like, you know, Microsoft enterprise, but like more enterprise friendly documentation on, on our website and making it like, you know, easy guides to integrate L and D and to get on board and stuff like that. Um, we're, we're at the stage where, you know, um, I think it is easy enough. I think the security model of having your coins in like this, you know, what I'm, my buzzword for it is like hot wallet 2.0. Right, because it's like a Lightning wallet is it's it's no different than every hot wallet that every exchange has. Right, it's it's the same thing. It's just that you get um, instantly settled payments, uh, and you have to deal with 
channels, but like our goal, the goal of Lightning Labs um, is to make it to where you don't ever have to think about channels, right? You have multi-path payments, you have your liquidity automatically managed. It's all just pooled. It's just the same thing. It's a liquidity layer that's all even. It's straight up, if this is going to be successful, the end user should never have to think about channels. Like Absolutely. ever. And I don't think ever. they ever will. I, I don't think they ever will. I think we're in one of these, we're in one of these periods where it's like, it's really hard because it's, it's so engineering dominated, right? And there's so many trade-offs and there's all these security stuff. Like it's really hard to, you know, say, let's just fast forward five years and assume, let's assume all this stuff works, right? Like you're not going to have a lightning balance and a Bitcoin balance, right? You're just going to have a balance and your wallet you're will know. Sats and they're going to route a certain way. Yep. And your wallet will know like, okay, well, I, you know, he wants to send these coins fast. So like, I'm just going to send it on lightning. If he doesn't have an, you know, enough capacity, I'm going to do, you know, a submarine swap with part of it, a loop with part of it, you know, like breeze breezes, you know, you know, thank God for breeze. They're, they're phenomenal pushing lightning network forward uh, on mobile and on the UX side, you know, their most recent update was, you know, um, trustless zero conf channels where if you receive a payment and you don't have enough capacity, they'll hold the payment for you, open up a new channel in your direction and then allow it to be forwarded, you know, so to your end wallet. How do they do that? Do they have to have like a treasury of Bitcoin? Yeah. On their well, side? well, uh, until they get into lightning pool when they'll actually be able to, this is, I think this is, this is not implemented today, but it is one of like the major next features to do, which is called sidecar channels. So that would be, um, breeze will, instead of, you know, having their own treasury of Bitcoin on chain that they will use to, um, to provide to uh, another user. Instead, they will actually be able to reach into pool, the pools treasury, and pick a channel up from you know open node or bitfinex or or anybody in the pool and connect that channel to the user instead instead of using their own um they're like re what I, I like to call it's like reselling a lease so like they purchase the lease from um from bitfinex and then they sell it back they resell it to their user and take like a small spread and so they won't have to use their own capital on a balance sheet um but they will be able to yeah right so it's like a loan this. Well, it's 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 still leased because it's like they're just a pass through, right? It's still yeah. Bitfinex is still on one end, or you know, whatever. Bitfinex is on one end of the channel, the new user is on the other end of the channel, and Breeze just facilitated the interaction. And they get a little vague for that. That makes sense. And they get a little big, yeah. yeah. Um, so like that's that's a concept called sidecar channels, which again, like those are, that's a uh. game changer, because then it's like you know what you know what problem that solves. That solves the problem of um, you download a Lightning wallet and you don't have a channel yet. All of a sudden now Breeze, and like right now what Breeze is doing is Breeze is funding those channels themselves, which is, you know, they would prefer not to do. Um, but now all of a sudden Breeze can access a whole pool of capital providers and say, you know, here, well, you, you just downloaded the wallet. We automatically, you know, are, are buying you these three channels to these well-connected nodes, like congratulations, you're on the Lightning Network. Yeah, and if you play this out to its logical conclusion and you get enough liquidity and enough individual users on the network, like just the interest rates on these services will just get driven down further and further, but it will still make sense for a service provider because of the uh, the um, 
total amount of people interacting with these products total volume yeah and then and then you know like like we said right like the the game is uh, if you're if you're facing the end user how do you get the user to turn this channel balance over as fast as as fast as possible right if you're providing capital um you know to end users like how do you get them to turn the channel balance over to earn you enough fees to cover your cost of capital and if cost of capital is you know i i have no idea where these numbers are going to end up right like you know risk-free rate on treasuries is like one percent i think for like a three-month t-bill or something like that right that sounds about right but i'm no idea no clue but that's limited to the the offering of t-bills right where yeah mm-hmm. you can't limit this the, is Bitcoin. the yeah you can't limit that mm-hmm. yeah i know so i you know like i i, I am i'm very lucky and very privileged to be able to be uh to be working for this company i think at this time when this is happening and to be here like i think this is one of those things in like 10 years that people are going to look back on and just be like wow wow like what a time to be paying attention my mind is blown right now because when you think about all these factors added and compounded on each other like you're talking about primitives of a new financial system that you can't even fat you can't compare it to this system because the system that we're comparing it to like you said t-bills is so constrained by the offering of those securities and you can't constrain that offering on these open source networks i know like like so this is like we are in inning we just got done stretching right we're not even in inning one yet of, of the Lightning Network and, and of, of, of Bitcoin native financial uh, applications, Bitcoin native capital markets. Like, you know, people have been, it's only been, it's only been two years. Like, you know, let us get to five and let's do a progress report, right? And even with that being said, I'm a happy Lightning user. I know, like, it already- I haven't had, I haven't had problems receiving payments or sending payments. Like sometimes I have to try it twice, but like, all right, if that's the biggest problem, like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna scream bloody murder over it. I know. So you know, I'm, I'm enormously bullish. Um, I'm very glad that fees are going up. You know, I've already, I've already even had, you know, this week, a couple of companies reach out, kind of inbound, being like, okay, like, thanks for, you know, cold calling me a couple months ago. Like, I see what you were talking about. It's time to get on Lightning, right? And these are, these are, you know, serious companies that move a lot of Bitcoin around. Um, the kind of thought of lightning is, is like a, you know, a toy, like a thing to pay attention to. Maybe you would be ready soon. And now like, you know, things it's, it's one of those things where it's maturing at exactly the right time. Um, everything is kind of lining up well. Um, and I think, you know, I think next year is going to be just great for us. <sighs> wow. I knew this was going to be a great conversation. We haven't even started talking about telecom yet. Right? Let's get into it. Fuck it. We're only two minute, two hours and 45 minutes into this. Uh, so, like, so, yeah, you need to build these primitives to get to actually where you want to go. Where the fuck are we going? So where we want to go, where we want to go, and I think... I'm sorry for using the buzzword primitives too much. No, it's, it's exactly off. right. Like, like what we, what, what, where we want to go, honestly, what I think where we want to go is like a brand new internet, right? Totally new. Um, 
you know i think i think the political climate and the discussion around censorship right now is really driving that point out yep there was a really good there was a really good i forget where i read it there was a really good article talking about like like when the big thing that was like a whoa moment for me was uh all the wechat stuff that was going on about banning wechat right like everybody in china uses wechat i know i have a lot of you know chinese a lot but i i know several chinese nationals who live in the u.s who were distraught who were like I, this is how i talk to my parents right yeah I had leo zhang on the podcast from anisha research mm-hmm. and he is one of those people yep. he said it on the podcast he's like this is how i talk to my parents it's pretty fucked up yep absolutely and like that doesn't make any sense to any rational person right like i i'm not doing anything wrong by talking to my parents like you big countries figure your shit out right like i, I want to be able to do this so I think we're going to see, I hope, I hope I'm wrong about this, but I, I think the trend is that we're going to see an increase in censorship on the internet. And we're going to see a splinter net, right? There's going to be a U.S. internet. There's going to be a Russia one. There's going to be a China one, you know, all that sort of stuff, which is not the way this was ever supposed to work out. Um, and, and it's not the way people that grew up with the internet and grew up, you know, remember being able to, and in, you know, middle school, chat in chat rooms with like people in Iran, right? Chat with people in, in, in India, learn about other cultures, figure out like, oh man, like they're just people just like me. They're not like these, you know, evil demons like I see on the news, right? They're just normal dudes. They're normal girls that like have the same, you know, it was the internet in middle school. So they were all probably- They're just curious. They want to get good music. They want to watch movies. Like exactly. Right. They want to watch porn. They want to do whatever. Yeah, like, exactly. Right. Like it was, it was, it was, it was, it was a great experience. And I think there's going to be a hunger to get back to that. Um, but I think what you need before you can get that, the primitive is you need, you know, millions of nodes always online distributed throughout the world. They're willing to forward traffic for sats. Um, I think like, like it'll look like a, a global, you know, this is one thing that all the crypto people, all the crypto VCs are like certain is going to happen. It just makes so much sense is like a distributed VPN, right? Um, like, uh, you know, they're certain that it's going to happen, but they always try and like shove a token into it. Um, right. I looked at a lot of the VPN designs and it just was so obvious to me as I looked at them, I was like, oh, well, like lightning, lightning. They all should be paid over payment channels and they all will want to be paid in Bitcoin. Yeah. And you do it, mesh networks, whatever you think, and you can pay millisats. Like yep. you, you make pay. it economical. Like it's not economical if you need to fucking confirm a whole nother token in a block associated with a fee. Yes. The fee may be low now, but if it ever gathers the, the volume and traffic that, you would want for a successful decentralized VPN, the fees are going to get too high. Absolutely. I guess that's, I guess that's a good question for lightning. Like, will the fees ever get too high? I think (laughs) so. Personal suspicion. uh, You know, there's a lot of folks who really like the idea of interledger and packetized payments um, as, as opposed to HTLCs. I think what we will see, and there's been a lot of really good conversation recently about like channel jamming attacks on Lightning, where like there's kind of a fundamental trade-off 
uh, uh, on Lightning of um, uh, privacy and private payments and DOS prevention, right? And so like, if you make every payment totally anonymous um, and you have no idea who they're coming from and you just accept them um, without a fee, then you open yourself up to being DOSed and to having your channel jammed and to have people like locking up your liquidity, right? That That is, I think, we'll see if it's like as fundamental a trade-off um, as, as like the cap theorem of some of the, some of the other ones. I think it's it's pretty reasonable to suspect that that, that won't change, um, which sadly probably ruins the perspective for like actual millisat um, uh, micropayments directly on layer two. However, what I think that we will see if we see, you know, again, assuming a ubiquitous lightning network, right? There, there's millions of nodes, there's channels that are all over the place, there's tons of commerce happening um, on the internet between all these nodes. I think it makes a lot of sense to actually have like an interledger style layer three um, that settles down to layer two, just like layer two settles down to layer one. So you'll have kind of like a credit system where it's like my node says, look, um, I'm gonna send some millisats over and like when I get up to a hundred sats of payments, like if I haven't sent you an HTLC by then, like shut off my service, right? And it'll be like tiny amounts of money, right? Like tiny, tiny amounts of money. But I think that we will we'll kind of get around it in this, again, like a layered approach where there will be stuff like that happening. And on that third layer, you'll probably set up a service that batches all those HTLCs. Sign yes. one signature for thousands. Just just like how you do the exact same thing for batching, um, you know, HTLCs down to layer one, right? When you close, damn. Oh, my brain hurts after this conversation. I'm sorry, um, we can go so far into this. Like, are we going too far? Are we getting too far ahead of ourselves? Or I don't know, man. I think it's important. I think it's important. Like, you know, it's it's. Bitcoin is very engineer dominated, you know, all the creatives, not all the creatives, the majority of the creatives, unfortunately got sucked into the, to Ethereum. Um, we're very engineer dominated. We're very sober. We're very serious. Um, I think it's okay every once in a while to let your hair down, um, and, and, and galaxy brain it and think about like what could be and get excited. Like one thing that I think is really interesting is I get really excited about this stuff. I love talking with, um, Drew Bonsall at, at, uh, at Unchained about this stuff, right? We geek out about this all the time. Um, and uh, one thing he tells me every once in a while is like, yeah, man, like I try and get, you know, Parker and, and some of these other guys excited and their eyes just glaze over and they're like, isn't fixing money enough? <laughs> <laughs> no. It's a very Are good you... point. I don't know. I, I could be wrong about a lot of this stuff. I don't think I am. Um, I, could be I don't think you are either. Again, the caveman to me is like this. Fuck, it makes sense. Like, yeah, I know I, I can't. I, think I can't code this shit and make it work myself. But like, intuitively, and I can't code it. But I know, understand the mechanisms that allow you to sign a transaction to release funds one way or the other. To mm -hmm. how you can tie it up and time lock it. Like, I understand that. I believe so at a fundamental level. And yep what we've been discussing tonight makes a lot of sense to me. And I think I'm comfortable saying that many people are not looking at it this way. Most people are not looking at it this way. Like I, again, particularly shadow chain, like black swan event Absolutely. in this space. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Like I, 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 
I don't think I'll need to do. I don't think I'll need to do any extra work to get people excited about it. But if people are not like, oh my god, this changes everything, I I will I will need to do something drastic on, on Twitter and 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 some just, soul searching. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, like, I'll need to do like you know, daily tweet storms about why this is a big deal and just annoy the shit out of everybody until they read the paper. Well, that's like. It's such a small fundamental change, right? Mm-hmm. Just the non-custodial multi-sig mm-hmm. versus the validator and zero-knowledge trusted setup model. Yep. It's so obvious now that we've discussed it. I know, it's right? Like, how did nobody not think about this? Like, but that's 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 what gives me the confidence that that I'm right about this, and then it actually is as fundamental of a breakthrough as I think it is. Um, because all of the really big ones, like the really, really big breakthroughs, are just something where it's like, oh, of course, like, obviously. It's never something that's like super complicated and like you never would have thought of. It's just like, oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. Again, the bell curve, right? Yeah. Well, this is like, how close is Lightning Labs been keeping this to the chest? Because I've had extensive conversation like i've just trying to educate myself about i'm very happy we're having this conversation at this particular moment of time because roll-ups particularly are fresh in my mind because mm-hmm. i've been educated about them myself mm-hmm. in the last couple of weeks particularly optimistic roll-ups for ck yeah. roll-ups and this never even like ventured into the conversation that's wondering because i feel like i've been talking to people that really understand this and think they're in the know yeah and to have them not even like I don't want to I don't want you to disclose like yeah I mean look, I've me. only been around I've only been around for a couple months now right like since the the summer um so I can't I can't really say all that much but I do know that you know uh Elizabeth and and Lalu and 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 Brian and and the team in general um have a culture of a very strong culture for better or for worse of only wanting to ship excellent stuff and like of not wanting to, you know, there, there's an aversion to any sort of um, hype, I think from, you know, the ICO era also probably from getting a lot of, a lot of flack for, you know, um, lightning being delayed from the paper, even though that's ridiculous, of course, because of the segwit delays. Um, so I think they, they, it was very important to them that before they made any noise that was working on mainnet. Um, so I think they've been keeping it close to the vest. Um, and I understand why. I, I think that it will speak for itself um, once it gets out into the world um, and, and how important it is and, and what people can do with it. I can't wait to wait. Okay, blah, blah, blah. I'm all drunk now. I can't wait to fuck around with it. Um... I think it's going to be dope. Well, I actually, let me see. Let me check real quick. Let me see if I've actually made, I think I'm like even uh, on the amount of money that I've made so far. I mean, I haven't like been like treating this like I'm a shark or anything. Um, but it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing to um, just put up an order and then wake up the next day and have it be like, oh, your order got hit. Overnight you made, let's see, what did I make on my last one? Overnight you made 
you know, 60,000 sats. Not nothing, right? 60,000 sats. Let me check right now. $1 is worth 7,500 sats around there. So, yeah. 850. I mean, I'm not like slaying a uh, huge weight here. Um, yeah. I think, you know, like what we're looking at, like what we're seeing right now, there's a zero price discovery. So like, this is not a real number. But what we're seeing right now is, is people feel comfortable bidding for a two week lease, like 25 bips, right? So two week lease, you know, compound that whatever, 26 times of 25 bips, that ends up being like 9% annualized. And this is way less risk than something like a BlockFi mm -hmm. yep. or Frank, like Unchained as well, where, mm -hmm. or actually, no, Unchained doesn't have that product. Excuse me. Sorry. Yeah, like a, BlockFi, it's yeah. different than, than, different than a BlockFi or like a salt lending. Because mm -hmm. you don't give up custody. Like that's, that's the innovation. Yeah. The innovation, and you're not giving up custody. And your sats aren't being lended out to anybody on the other end they're literally being used to provide utility to other people who need liquidity yeah so like the the, the cool thing too is like what this what this does really is um it takes and it's all native bitcoin too right like there's no token there's no anything else there's no redemption it's this is just bitcoin it's like um you know you lift your bitcoin up into layer two you take this like, you know, UTXO, this brick, you turn it into like a conducting wire, right? Uh, this, this like conducting payment flows and all of a sudden it has utility. Yeah, like you're thinking about like applying an oil and gas, like you just create like a, a pipeline. That pipeline is Bitcoin at the end of the day, but you're able to flow shit through that that gives you revenue. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so, and so this is like, I think, I think pipelines there, like that's the perfect analogy. Cause all these are right. Like, like there's some really interesting stuff where it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, a lot of the verbiage around capital treats it like a liquid, right? Liquidity, um, capital flows, um, you know, I don't know. There's a bunch of other ones. It's really, it's really infrastructure, but it's infrastructure. It's, it's infrastructure for something much, much bigger, right? It, yeah. It's pipelines. It's a transportation network for moving Satoshis around the financial system of the yeah. Bitcoin, right? Um, so I think I think that's one thing that's, that's you know, we'll see how it plays out. Um, it's, it's, it makes Bitcoin a medium of exchange, but I think thinking that Lightning is for retail payments and for coffee payments is thinking way too small. Like, you know who I'm really excited about getting into Lightning is like high frequency, high frequency trading firms. Because the one thing you look at roll-ups, you look at every scaling solution, every single one. And I said this in like my announcement tweet or whatever, the killer advantage that payment channels have that nothing, no other solution can touch. Like this is the one thing that payment channels have that nothing else can do is instant settlement. Um, Jack Mollers has been beating this drum for, for forever. Um, instant settlement of Bitcoin in particular, right? No, no other technology can do that. It has to be a payment channel, right? So, you know, like, you know, the HFT guys, right? They're spending, you know, billions of dollars 
to co-locate their servers as close to the New York Stock Exchange as possible. They're building radio towers in Chicago so that they can, you know, get a direct line of sight to New York, all this sort of stuff. They're willing to do whatever it takes to shave milliseconds off. You think they're going to be okay waiting 20 minutes to send Bitcoin between exchanges when somebody's sniping them with a millisecond payment channel? Like it's a, it's a matter of time, right? Like, I don't know if it happens this year or next year or the year after, but like, it's a matter of time it's gonna until happen. they come here and they see that. Holy shit. Yeah, it's inevitable. It's inevitable. You're literally arbing, arbing latency at that point. The latency is at magnitudes of what are better at this layer. Uh, Ryan, I told you freaks. I love talking to this guy. It's exciting stuff, man. I'm, I get fired up about this. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where like, I would love to fast forward five years and to see all this fully matured, but at the same time, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't sacrifice the experience of like getting to be here when it all happens for anything. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I totally, totally get that mindset. It's, feel, it's like, why me? Why am I like for me and what I'm doing particularly, like even with this podcast and the newsletter, like why am, why am I putting this out? Why are people reading this? Like working on the technology and the infrastructure that I write about, like takes it to a whole another level where it's like, wow, um, it's fucking nuts, man. I'm happy to be here with you. I'm happy that we met in person that we crossed paths. I am too, man. Again. I'm really happy. I mean, you know, like I think the, you know, we're, we were, born too late to explore the oceans too new or too young to explore the stars but just the right time to fix the money like right. so awesome yeah I, I completely agree and the strike while the iron's hot let's fucking send it right mm-hmm. we're fucking not even 30 yet let's get after it i'm sorry if uh my rambling in my increased drunkness throughout the podcast, uh, through the conversation off a little bit or for if my caveman, uh, intellect, uh, forced you to, to dumb things down for me. But I think the freaks are going to get uh, a lot of value out of this episode. I hope they do at least. I know I did. Well, I, I did too. Look, uh, you know, my wife is, uh, my wife is a high school teacher. She actually just came home. That is the, uh, the garage door opening that's what i was gonna say there's something going on there we go uh she's a she's a high school teacher so you know she gives me like you know 15 minutes a day uh to talk about bitcoin with her right that that's about all i get <laughs> uh so you know i i have a a lot of practice in making it concise and making it understandable um so you know having having three hours to ramble about this stuff is a real treat um so so yeah thanks for having me thank you for coming on i wish we could post it right now unfortunately we cannot embargo 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 my first embargo ever may have to break it just say fuck it no i'm kidding um i would get fired (laughs) i do not want that to happen what uh before we wrap up here we're three hours six minutes 24 seconds in what should we leave the freaks with? Where can we find out more about you, more about uh, what's going on at Lightning Labs with L&D, particularly with this major release, yep. particularly with shadow pools, all that? Yeah. 
So um, I'm at Ryan the Gentry, all one word on Twitter. Um, you know, I think to keep up with Lightning Labs, we have a newsletter, um, lightninglabs.substack.com. Um, I would subscribe to that. Um, a lot of, you know, hopefully you saw, um, you know, our announcement for pool this week all across Twitter and the internet. But, you know, at lightning.engineering, we'll have the blog posts. Um, you know, I don't think we've decided yet where the white paper for, for lightning pool and shadow chains will be stored. Um, but at a minimum, it'll, it's on, I know it's on the lightning pool GitHub. Um, look, regarding getting on, on board lightning in general, like I hesitate to do kind of like push the, like spend and replace support the network type stuff, because I think like, if it's not ready yet for, you know, mainstream retail adoption, um, it'll leave a bad taste in people's mouths. So, you know, if you have users experiencing high fees that they're pissed about, if you get mad about slow block times, um, if you uh, if you want to earn a yield on your Bitcoin without giving up custody, like get on board the Lightning Network. Um, it's it's ready. It's time. Um, you know, it's not, it's not for everybody, but for those specific three pain points, like it's, it's, it's time. Shoot me a DM, email me, um, you know, just message me on, on Twitter or Telegram, wherever. Um, and we'll get you set up because it's, it's things I think are, are going to start getting, are going to start accelerating pretty quickly this next year. And, and you're going to be, you're going to want to be along for the ride. Yeah. I am invigorated after this conversation. I knew this was going to be a great one. I just had a feeling going into it and <laughs> it did not disappoint at all. I can't wait till we're able to link up in person again. Absolutely. Hopefully I'm in Austin and you're not up here in in the terrible North, but, yeah, um, thank you for what you're doing, man. I think, uh, Again, one of my favorite people I've ever talked about Bitcoin with, like just diving into it because I think it's probably just a product of the way I think and how I conceptualize all this. But I think uh, you particularly have a mental model of how this all works, very similar to how I do. And who knows if that's me just uh, confirming my bias, but... I think you're onto something. I think you guys at Lightning Labs are onto something. I honestly had no idea what was going on with uh, the pool stuff until you explained it tonight, and I'm still trying to comprehend it. And I do think, at least off off the bat, that it is a black swan event. Not to bastardize Telebian word use, but something that the market is not expecting. So I'm very excited for you personally and Lightning Labs uh, as a company to sort of shock the market here and feel honored that we were able to have this conversation before the news officially drops. I will keep it close to the chest. I will not break the embargo, <laughs> even though I want to very bad. Um, so Ryan, thank you for coming on. It's been an incredible pleasure. Absolutely. Likewise. Thanks for having me. This is a great time. All right. That's all we got tonight freaks. Peace and love. Okay. <laughs>